Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I'm said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of March 23rd, 2023, including Microsoft's new mobile app store could be on the way sooner than originally expected, Redfall might not be always online after all, Hellblade 2 was finally shown off again, but not in a way you may have been waiting for, and more. On this day in Xbox history, in the year 2009, 14 years ago, Wanted Weapons of Fate released for the Xbox 360. Uh, Wanted Weapons of Fate was the licensed movie game based based on the movie that came out in 2008, Wanted, starring uh, Angelina Jolie. And uh, I just found out Chris Pratt was in that movie. I don't know why this game sticks out to me. I don't. I don't know who published it versus who developed it. Uh, or I guess it was Universal. It was a Universal movie, so I guess Universal was the publisher. It was a WB Games made game, or I think it was maybe made in partnership with both develop both, both both publishers. It says Grin AB was the developer. I don't know who that is. I'm sure they're not around anymore. I don't know what they went on to work on but uh oh here it is it looks like they worked on some bionicles games oh they worked on tom clancy's ghost recon advanced warfighter one and two that's not nothing okay so they they were around for a little bit they worked on terminator salvation for the 360 uh but yeah wanted weapons of fate you might remember the movie wanted it was like that kind of people always compared it to matrix i remember at the time but like that action thriller movie where like they could manipulate bullets and like curve them and make them like do crazy shit and like slow down time and stuff like that. And I never watched that movie uh, in, until recently, but uh, I, I remember always wanting to watch this movie. It was like one of those things where like my stupid middle school brain at the time was like, oh, this is a cool movie. This movie will, I will become a cooler person if I see this movie. And by extension of that, I always wanted to play the game, but I never, I never did play the game. It looks like it had pretty uh, middle of the road reviews, which is about as good as it gets for these kinds of licensed games at the time. But yeah, there's no way to play this game anymore. It's not backwards compatible. So unless you have an Xbox 360 kicking around with a functioning hard drive and a copy of this game, uh, you are not playing Wanted Weapons of Fate. But nonetheless, it is 14 years old as of today. That makes me feel very old because I just remember being at my best friend's house being like, oh, dude, we should go see Wanted. That movie would be so badass. But uh, alas, in 20, what, 20, 2009, March 23rd, 2009, we were... How old was I? Like 14? Something like that? I don't know. Anyway, welcome to Xbox On, guys. Episode 199. That's right. We're one week away from the 200th episode of the podcast. Someone asked the other week if we're doing anything special for episode 200. And i got to be honest. I don't mean to be such a lazy, lazy, useless podcast host here, but... No, <laughs> no, I don't think we're doing anything special for 200. It'll be uh, just another week, but I do, I do find it quite impressive that we made it to 200. 200 weeks, well, let's not get ahead of ourselves. We made it to 199. A lot could happen in the next week, but um, 
surprised that we've made it this far. No weeks missed. Uh, I just feel like most of my favorite podcasts, they're like long-standing podcasts. I just feel like I used to – I discovered a lot of those podcasts when they were in the episode 200 and blah, blah, blah range. So just to know that this show has almost reached episode 200 seems kind of unreal, but – it's not. It's not unreal. It's actually very real. It's it's it's, un, it's actually Unreal Engine Five, uh, which we will be talking about later in the news. But that's not that's not what's first up. First up, we talk about the notable games releasing this week. There are two games I think that are a pretty decent note for Xbox players. The big one being uh, this Friday, March twenty fourth, Resident Evil Four Remake will come out for Xbox Series S, X, and PC. So this is definitely going to be. Uh, one of the biggest games of the year, I think, critically, and just in terms of like the how like the quote unquote gamer scene kind of views gaming. I think this is going to be a huge one. Um, it will sell pretty damn well. Resident Evil Four is the most beloved Resident Evil game of all time. Although I think commercially, the most popular ones were five and six because those are the ones that were just basically Gears of War clones, and that has more mainstream appeal than survival horror. But nonetheless, Gears uh, or Res- <laughs> speaking of Gears of War, uh, Resident Evil Four. No doubt is the is the one that I, th- I think most people would recall or would refer, would refer to as the de facto greatest Resident Evil experience. Uh, seems like so far the remake is getting stellar reviews. It seems like most of the changes that have been made are, are have been received pretty favorably, in that it's uh, it's seemingly the definitive way to experience this game. Confession time. This should come as a surprise to absolutely no one. I've never played Resident Evil Four. Uh, I feel like every everyone in my family has played this game and obsessed over it. Every friend I've ever had has played this game and obsessed with it. Every video game podcast or YouTube channel I've ever consumed videos and podcasts from has ranted and raved about this game and i've just never ever played resident evil 4 so this will probably be my for- I, I was i was talking to Cronky about it kind of back when it was first announced i'm kind of torn because i feel like playing resident evil 4 remake is probably the way to go but at the same time i know they did a pretty good resident evil 4 vr port for oculus quest about a year ago, I think it was, and although that doesn't look nearly as pretty as this game does, I just feel like VR might be the perfect place to experience this game, so I'm still kind of torn. I don't know if I want to play Resident Evil 4 Remake or Resident Evil 4 VR. Um, I don't know, maybe if you guys have experience with either of them, let me know which one you think is the superior way to go, but as a complete Resident Evil 4 virgin, which way should I go? 4 Remake or 4 VR? Uh, I have played Resident Evil 2 Remake, 3 Remake, and Resident Evil 7, so it's not like I have no experience with the franchise, but yeah, it's just a a series I didn't really get into until relatively recently, but no doubt that's going to be one of the bigger games uh, for sure. Definitely probably the most notable game since Hogwarts Legacy's come out. Uh, And then the other uh, notable game, maybe a little more niche because it is a JRPG, but pretty notable one at that, Nino Kuni 2 Revenant Kingdom. Uh, is coming on Xbox finally. This uh, it's actually out as of now. The time I'm recording this, it's it's been out since Tuesday, March 21st, on Game Pass. It's a it's a Game Pass launch title for Xbox. So finally, this game is on Xbox, and it is uh yeah, it is a Game Pass title. Now, Nino Kune, I find this a little odd because the first game, if I'm not mistaken, was never released on Xbox. It was originally a PS3 game back in the day. Didn't they have like some kind of Nintendo one, some kind of like Kingdom Hearts style Nintendo version of the game? I don't know. Maybe they did a re-release for it in the PS4 generation. I don't know if that came to Xbox One. And then Nino Kuni 2 came to PS4. 
I don't know, maybe like five years ago or so. So it's it's kind of odd that we're just now getting this game, and I don't think the first one's available. So, I mean, take what you can get, but to, I don't know. It's an odd series that's never really been supported on Xbox. Suddenly it's an Xbox game. It's in Game Pass. But like we're always saying, if you want more Japanese content on the Xbox, we got we got to go out and play and support games like this. And I say that as a total hypocrite because I've had Persona 5 downloaded on my Series X waiting to go for months, and I still haven't gotten around to it, but... Yeah, uh, Nino Kuni. I know people really like these games, especially the first one. It's kind of a little bit like Studio Ghibli meets Pokemon in, in a sense, and people really adore, uh, especially that first game. They say it's like a, a real heart tugger with its narrative and just a really aesthetically uh, compelling game. So maybe go ahead and give that a try if you're looking for something uh, super Japanese to get into. But yeah, for sure, Resident Evil Four and Nino Kuni. Actually, both Japanese games. Look at that. Suck in America. You're losing. Japan's eating your lunch. Also, Europe's eating your lunch because a lot of good European games coming out soon and have already come out. What's up, America? What do you want? Another Call of Duty? Fucking hacks. All right. Anyway, let's move on. Speaking of Call of Duty, let's go through our Activision updates of the week. We have one, two, three, four of them. Uh, Two, three, and four are really just read it and move on kind of things. But number one, we can spend a couple minutes kind of going through this uh, as I find it moderately interesting. But yeah, we don't, you know, unless, unless it's like earth-shattering news we try to just kind of move through this and not spend too much time because i know we're all exhausted from the ongoing activision microsoft talk but yeah just to keep things up to date here is our first of four updates this first one like i said pretty compelling in my opinion from VGC, the UK's Competition Market Authority, the CMA, has posted opinions of six developers uh, who were all who, sorry who all think that Microsoft's proposed Activision Blizzard deal should go ahead. Only one of the six studios actually provide uh, that provided a response actually agreed to share their name. That is 4J Studios, not to be confused with 4A Studios, the guys that make the Metro series. But 4J Studios, the Scottish developer responsible for the console versions of Minecraft, the rest remained anonymous and made mention of working with multiple platform holders. Most notably, perhaps, was the comment that came from the fifth reply. And while, yes, anonymous, the business claims to have released games on various platforms, including Xbox and PlayStation, and said the following, quote, On PlayStation, we found our sales growing stagnant with each release. This is mainly due to the fact that despite PlayStation having the lion's share of player numbers and console sales, that share is mainly provided to larger titles from huge publishing labels and or developers and publishers who are willing to spend lots of money and paid on marketing within the PlayStation console. On Xbox, however, the opposite has come true over the last several years. There are numerous means of players finding your game on Xbox, including in special sections on the store and through Game Pass as a service. As a result, we found that despite Xbox having a much smaller player count uh, in console sales compared to PlayStation, our games sell just as well on Xbox since more players are finding our games there. It concluded with the following, quote, the acquisition will not only sorry, will not all of a sudden make Xbox the dominant platform. It's far more likely that it will help them create a more level playing field between PlayStation and Xbox, which at this point in time is sorely needed. PlayStation needs better competition to force the platform up uh, to up its game, and this will surely help do just that. So the, we could talk about this one for a long time, actually, um, and I, I feel like this is maybe the first thing we've had to say about this deal in a long time that maybe isn't so... Uh, carve your eyeballs out kind of painstakingly boring but it's it's important to keep in mind that it it seems without knowing for sure it has seemed like the CMA is pretty adversarial towards Microsoft and is a little uh concerned about this deal and is is been putting up a little bit of a fight and 
in, in as far as maybe making this deal not happen goes. So the fact that they are publishing six testimonials, all from people who overwhelmingly approve the deal, and then to have this kind of glowing commentary really stands in Xbox's favor. And it seems like overwhelmingly, you know, a lot of these statements have been published online and I've been reading through some of them just by seeing stuff shared online through social media and stuff. It seems like overwhelmingly most developers, at least the ones that were contacted, uh, seem to be pretty on board for this deal. And it's funny because, you know, I, I'm i just a regular guy who likes video games, but I work a day job. I don't work in the video games industry. I don't really know what the fuck I'm talking about. I just kind of have an intuition based on just randomly being obsessive over this kind of stuff for no reason all my life. So there's a lot of times where I get a little like self-conscious, like I don't really deserve to be up here talking about Xbox. I don't really know. You know, I don't, I don't have insight information. I'm just saying shit. And then there's sometimes where I feel a little vindicated because it's like, wow, these are actual game developers who are kind of making stances and points that I talk about on my podcast. And that makes me feel like maybe I'm not so far removed from what's actually happening that maybe I kind of know a little bit about what I'm saying. But not to pat myself too much on the back, it's just that I saw quotes from developers saying things like, you know, if Xbox doesn't get this deal, it'll likely go to like another big conglomerate looking to consolidate, like Tencent. And we don't want that happening. And not, not you know, in so many words, uh, one of the anonymous uh, quotes said something to that effect. And I'm just like, yeah, man, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, exactly. That's the point. And, and just stuff like this as well, where they're talking about how, you know, Microsoft having Activision Blizzard doesn't give them outright the upper hand advantage. It just kind of helps level the playing field. And this brings up an important conversation I think kind of needs to be had because if you go back to the PlayStation 3 era, PlayStation actually had a really good reputation with smaller developers, indie developers, and things like that. It's kind of the, the de facto platform for the smaller game. It's kind of like the place to get figured out. And I know, obviously, Xbox 360 played a huge role in that with Summer of Arcade and Xbox Live Arcade and all these kinds of things, which which definitely helped you know spotlight some of the biggest, most iconic indies to date, right? But PlayStation really had a good name for that as well. Even into the early PS4 days, a lot, a lot of indies really were Team PlayStation. And it was, PlayStation for a long time was seen as like a really great platform for smaller developers to kind of get their games noticed. But this is a comment that we've been seeing more and more recently, which is that PlayStation is not, PlayStation will approve just about anything to be published on their platform. And it is so hard to get eyes on your game that is coming to something that is, a little bit akin to like the like the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store where sure you can it's the 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 barrier to entry you know to get your game published on this platform is easier than ever before but you're also up against a billion games releasing every week and who the hell is ever going to find your game without it being pushed and marketed so yeah Resident Evil 4 coming out in two days in a day or whatever, you know, it's going to have no problem selling on PlayStation because it's a huge game from a huge publisher. That's a huge partner with Sony and it's going to have a marketing campaign. And when you turn on your PS5, you're going to see splash ads for it. When you go to the PlayStation store, you're going to see ads and banners saying, Hey, Resident Evil 4 remake now available. And you probably saw Resident Evil 4 from YouTube and IGN and all these other sources and places. And so games like that will do just fine. But if you're a small developer that makes medium to small sized independent games and things like that, you don't have a prayer of a chance of really getting discovered on PlayStation because there's so much to compete with and you got to have the money to advertise 
to really get shown. And PlayStation doesn't really go out of their way to make these deals and the spotlight and platform these kinds of smaller games. So you do see a lot of this complaining now, for, you know, on on um, from developers in terms of what it's like to work with PlayStation. Where we're seeing this more and more with Xbox, where it's like, hey, Xbox is kind of great. If you can get through Game Pass, that's really great for a lot of these smaller developers. It can make a game that would otherwise go unnoticed, or a game that the developer might feel iffy about its success odds uh, just suddenly have a huge market in front of it because Game Pass, you know, I might as well try it. I'm already subscribed to the service. I got nothing to lose, just a little bit of time, right? Uh, conversely, Xbox just seems to apparently be better in general about being a little more selective about what games make it onto their platform so that it's more quality over quantity in addition to, uh, and, and that's not to say that's always the case because I've seen some hot garbage on Xbox's storefront, don't get me wrong. Uh, and, and then in addition to that, uh, just, you know, making it a little more fair of an ecosystem in terms of discoverability, uh, spotlighting new games. Like, I regularly, I, I would say I do this at least once a week where I get on my Xbox, I go to the store, and I just look at new game releases, and I just scroll through it. And, of course, you know, if I were to go there right now, I would see things like, again, Resident Evil 4. But I was I would also just find a bunch of random indie games that I'm going to click on and just scroll through the screenshots, read the description, maybe check out a trailer. And I love doing this. I, I wishlist games on Xbox all the time because I'm just like, that sounds interesting. Maybe, you know, let me sleep on that for a little bit. I might I might play it. And I've, I've regularly downloaded little indie games on my Xbox that maybe I'll only play it for 30 minutes or something like that. But just to check out, because I'm like, that sounds interesting. That sounds cool. A little 5 to $10, maybe $15 games. And I feel like, I don't know. It, it's hard for me to speak to this personally because I don't own a PS5. And I haven't really regularly used PlayStation in a couple of years. I, my PS4 is kind of up in storage these days. I really don't use it. But I don't know. On my Xbox, I feel like I'm constantly exploring the storefront and seeing what all is out there. And on PlayStation, in my experience, I felt like it was always just like Spider-Man, God of War, Days Gone, Horizon Zero Dawn. And uh, elsewhere, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe it's because I wasn't going out of my way as much on PlayStation because I, I would prefer to play most of my games on Xbox. Uh, but in my experience, I feel like that is also kind of true, just where PlayStation is. The discoverability factor is just a little a little less less easy, if that makes sense. I don't know. But uh, it, this makes an important point. The fact that, you know, PlayStation 5 can clobber Xbox in sales, basically outsell it more than two to one, and that a game can still sell just as well, if not better, on Xbox... You know, that says a lot for these independent developers. Of course, that's not the case, you know, talking about big AAA third-party games. Whatever. Obviously, Call of Duty is selling better on PlayStation every year, no doubt. Because nobody needs to be marketed Call of Duty. We all know it's Call of Duty. So it's going to sell better on PlayStation because there are more PlayStations out in the wild. But your smaller games that kind of live or die by just... Um, being the latest game release of the week and something that might cross your your screen for a minute or two and then it's gone before the next game comes out those games kind of live and die by that little notoriety of like hey here are your new game releases or like hey check out what's new this week or here's some new games in game pass that you might want to give a go and that stuff seems to be going a long way and i'm sure it's not perfect on xbox in fact i'm i know it's not perfect on xbox xbox actually suffers from a lot of the bloated kind of messy UI design and store design that PlayStation suffers from. So I don't mean to make it a team green versus team blue kind of argument, but it does seem to be the fact or the case that maybe Xbox is a, is a little bit friendlier of a platform for these smaller teams. And I think X, I think PlayStation can learn a lot from that. And I think this kind of helps build Xbox's case in this whole, like we want to platform everyone and give all the gamers the ability to play the games they want to play, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and, and having the, the support and the backup of the devs, I think 
goes a long way in strengthening Microsoft and Xbox's kind of stance and argument where it seems like really the only outspoken proponent or, or outspoken adversary to the whole deal is still Sony. And yeah, you would assume so, right? <laughs> They're the ones that have the most to lose. So I don't know. I just found that really interesting that even you have even these developers and kind of kind of standing up for this deal and saying, yeah, yeah, this this needs to happen. And it bodes well for Xbox, but I think also just speaks to a larger maybe concern or, or, or thing that's been going on that should maybe be mentioned and thought about. So I don't know. Discoverability is a huge factor. It sucks. It's like it's like YouTube, man. It's like you can put out the best video in the world, but you're kind of at the mercy of the YouTube gods and uh, thumbnails and what time did you upload and all these kinds of random you know, bullshit. So it's just one of those things. It's, uh, it's kind of, when, when you have the ecosystem, when you're the sole platform holder and there's only a few in the market, there's Nintendo, PlayStation, and Xbox, and I guess Steam as well. You kind of have an obligation to make things as fair and easy and accessible for all these developers. So, so that if you're going to allow to put a game on your storefront, you're going to give that game a chance to exist and shine and sell and be marketable. Otherwise, it's like, why the hell even let that game on your platform to begin with, you know? Although, um, uh, we'll probably get back to this conversation a little bit later on because we're going to talk about mobile storefronts, but that's for the main news. Uh, Let's move on with our other Activision-related updates of the week. Uh, We also got the European Commission has extended the deadline for its decision on the Microsoft Activision deal. In a filing on Thursday last week, the EU Competition Regulatory Board said it's pushed its (laughs) ruling back from April 25th, which was already a delayed date, to now May 22nd after Microsoft submitted remedies in a bid to gain its approval. So uh, this is, I guess, good news for Microsoft. It gives them more time to build an argument. But honestly, I think this is bad news for all of us because it just means even more uh, of a wait before we just find out what's going on. I think it was supposed to happen around like April 8th or 12th or something originally. Got pushed back to the 25th. Now it's being delayed another month. I'm tired of seeing this can kicked so many times. Let's... Let's fucking get this over with, man. For better or for worse, let's get this over with. All right, our third of four updates is that uh, Microsoft has said they, they believe 10 years, this is a little spicy, people might like this one, but I'm not, I'm not going to try to be console warrior about it, but it is funny. Microsoft has said that it believes 10 years is long enough for Sony to develop a rival offering for the Call of Duty franchise to the Call of Duty franchise. Regulators, including UK CMA, have expressed concerns that Microsoft's deal with Activision Blizzard could significantly reduce PlayStation's ability to compete given that Microsoft would gain ownership of COD, which Sony has called irreplaceable. In a bid to gain approval of the deal, Microsoft has told regulators that they're willing to make a new Call of Duty game available on every PlayStation console, day and day, 10-year period, full content, feature parity, all the bells and whistles, things we've talked about. However, In a newly published document, the company has told the CMA that it believes a decade is long enough for Sony to create an alternative to Call of Duty, saying, quote, at the remedies hearing, the CMA asked Microsoft if a 10-year duration is sufficient or whether it would be a cliff edge for Sony at the end of the period. The 10-year period is redacted, Microsoft wrote. Microsoft considered that a period of 10 years is sufficient for Sony as the leading publisher and console platform to develop alternatives to Call of Duty. In the dealings with regulators, Sony has argued that it would be impossible for it to replace Call of Duty as if the series as the series is no longer sorry if the series were no longer to be available on PlayStation. This is I, I love this because a lot of outlets are kind of like doing salacious headlines where they're like Xbox told PlayStation to suck it. You know, like that kind of shit where they're just like, uh, Microsoft says maybe PlayStation should just make their own Call of Duty. But uh, 
I mean, there's a little bit of kind of what they're saying, but you know, not, not to be so salacious about it. it. It's interesting because there, this, this is a notion that I'm sure many have thought of throughout this, this nonstop deal arguing bullshit, but what is to stop PlayStation from just trying to compete with Call of Duty? I, I understand what they mean by it's irreplaceable. Uh, Call of Duty has become so big for so long that it's just kind of like this inevitability at this point. It's not that like Call of Duty is the best game because it's the best game. It's, it, it's, it's like the biggest game because it's just been so big for so long that you you just can't stop the moving train, you know? Um, and, and I only half believe that because I, I, I know people love the shit on Call of Duty. If like, if, if your fucking gun is one shade of brown too off from like the, the game from four years ago, these fucking petty Call of Duty fans will get online and be like, Money one for your two is fucking broken bullshit. Ruin this franchise. The shameless cash. Grab. Shut up, dude. The reason why Call of Duty's big, if you want to know the real secret, um, is because whether you like it or not, whether you're tired of it or not, Call of Duty has been a consistently excellent game for like 15 fucking years, for like 20 years. They keep putting these games out, and you know, in in, in a world where most games come out with absolutely fucked and broken from top to bottom call of duty has consistently you know not always perfect there are some bugs and issues here and there but call of duty has consistently come out a content complete fully robust offering with some of the best controls in first person shooting history and a really fully robust multiplayer suite and you don't have to like it you can say the gameplay formula is a little outdated or repetitive or redundant or tired and that's all valid and fine especially if you feel that way but you can't argue that call of duty is not a super top-of-the-line premier experience, consistent, reliable offering. It hits every year without fail, and, you know, sometimes it's better than others, but you can always rely on Call of Duty to be Call of Duty, to be a brand-new game in the Call of Duty series. I can't even rely on a, on, a, on a Halo game after six or seven years to be a reliable addition to the Halo, you know, um, uh, uh, franchise, you know, it's fucking missing half the features, barely get past the start screen without running out of content to play. So uh, j just to be fair, you know, just to give credit where credit's due, you don't have to love Call of Duty, but the reason, one of the reasons why it's so big and it's so possible, impossible to stop and compete with is because it just keeps being good. Whether you get tired of it or not, different story, but it just keeps being consistently a good game. And um, so I, I get it. For Sony, it's like that's hard. That's hard, man. The kind of money, the manpower, the the many years of development, and the kind of well-oiled machine that is required to consistently put out a Call of Duty every twelve months. It's not something just anyone can do. And yeah, maybe Sony are one of the few that could maybe at one point in time get to it. But the, I guess the criticism is Sony's never really tried. <laughs> you know, they had um, they had uh, Horizon. God. Uh, Guerrilla Games, Killzone. They had Killzone, which back in the day was really meant to be like a big competitor to Halo. Um, and then that never really ended up being good. You know, like, no offense, I've played many of the Killzone games. I always want them to be good. They're never good. Killzone games are always like very, very beautiful games. And then they, they just kind of lack... Um, the fun factor. And then, you know, they tried again with Insomniac's Resistance series, which I'll give Resistance a lot of credit. I actually think Resistance is very good. Uh, I think that game is actually underrated, uh, that series. Th those games just got better and better as they went on. But even those games, like, meant to be kind of a Call of Duty Halo competitor type game around the PS3 generation, never really took off as, as much as they wanted it to, although I think it could have if they stuck with it. I think PlayStation gave up on it too early. However, 
really after that, after that PS3 generation, Sony just kind of gave up on first-person shooters. They've really consistently only tried to make Uncharted and The Last of Us and Uncharted and The Last of Us with a million other settings. You know, Norse God, Japanese uh, Samurai, whatever the fuck settings. But they, they just make that third-person action kind of game over and over and over again, which is great. They, they're, they're the best at it, right? But it's like, I don't know, man. It's kind of kind of one thing when it's like you're like the most respected big publisher of of just these top quality triple a first party games and you're bitching and moaning about how you can't do it without call of duty yet you're not trying at all to compete with call of duty you're not trying at all to make a game that rivals call of duty if you feel like it's something that's so indelible and so necessary and essential to your platform maybe you would try building a game of your own that's like that so that you know you can reliably control the scenario of you know this game this platform this this type of game that it's catering to this market is within our control because we have a franchise that that does that thing and sony doesn't try They, they really don't and i know they're trying to get into more multiplayer offerings and i respect that i appreciate that i get that but from what we understand they're they're still not really working on a call of duty type game they're working on uh, a Last of Us, freaking God knows what it is, some kind of like MMO online something game, but it's not it's not Call of Duty. Not that I'm saying they should make Last of Us into a Call of Duty series at all. I don't know. I just think that's uh, another interesting one. Didn't didn't expect to spend so much time on that, but yeah, man. And, and hey, you could say the same thing to Xbox too. I'm not I'm not saying this is one sided thing. Xbox, you know, they had Halo. So I feel like they didn't feel like they needed to, although there is a difference between the kind of shooter that Halo is versus Call of Duty. But I feel like, you know, Microsoft's always felt pretty confident that they've had the first-person genre kind of on lockdown. And, you know, this day with owning id Software and all these kinds of studios, I think that's even more true than it's ever been. So it's never really been as much a concern for Xbox as it has been for PlayStation. But now we're at that point where it's like, man, it's, it's, on, it's on you. It's really on you at this point. And our last little update for the Activision stuff is just, you know, Microsoft, real quick, two sentences. Microsoft has suggested that if it were to make, it were to make full use, sorry, Microsoft has suggested that they would make full use of PlayStation's console features when releasing Call of Duty games for Sony consoles, should the deal go through, meaning that they would uh, take advantage of DualSense controllers and the SSD and all those features to make sure that Call of Duty is not held back, whatever, who cares? Yeah, so that's it for our Activision updates of the week. Guys, there's one correction I have for you this week. I made a boo-boo, made a mistake. Kronky had to point it out and make me feel like a dumb-dumb about it. Last week, I was talking about the controversy surrounding the Outer Worlds Spacer's Choice Edition, that new uh, current-gen premium upgrade edition that is a little controversial. What I completely was too dumb to realize and mention was that uh, if you already own the Outer Worlds, upgrading to the Spacer's Choice Edition is only a $10 upgrade, so it's not like they're asking an arm and a leg for people to get this prettier version of the game. It's only full price if you are if you don't already own the game and now you're trying to buy the Spacer's Choice Edition, so just a little correction there on my part. Really embarrassing, stupid little uh, unacceptable, really. It's unacceptable. Just be better. I just need to be better. I'm so sorry, guys. Alright, with that out of the way, guys, let's move into our Stories of Mild Amusements updates from previous stories and uh we got a a handful to get through here so we'll dig into this a little bit before we get into the games we've been playing food we've been eating and then of course the big news stories of the week so starting with our first story of mild amusement i guess you can call this an update because it's 
God, it's been a while, but... Guys, VGC reports that Ninja Theory and Epic Games have offered a fresh look at Senua's Saga Hellblade 2 uh, facial animation tech for the game. During Epic's State of Unreal presentation at GDC, or Game Developer Conference, this past Wednesday, the company showed off more of the Unreal Engine's MetaHuman tool, which is being used to bring Hellblade protagonist Senua to life in the upcoming sequel. Quote, this cloud-hosted tool allows for us to create photorealistic digital humans for your gaming experience with the simplicity of RPG character creator, yet with the level of realism and, custom realism and customization that you've never seen before, claimed Epic Chief Technology Officer Kim Liberum. Liberum? Liberium? Liberium? Kim, please change your last name to something like Smith so my tiny brain can comprehend. Ninja Theory, and uh, the studio... It, is now owned by Microsoft, uh, who is now owned by Microsoft, announced Hellblade 2 at the Game Awards back in December of 2019 with a CGI trailer that they claimed was running an engine, and we've never seen the game since then. So, guys, we technically got our first look in almost four years of Hellblade 2. And the reason this isn't a main story of news, why this is a mild amusement, is because... It's just a little video they release, and, and to be fair, it's for a GDC conference. For those who don't know, GDC is not a it's it's a it's a convention, it's an event, but it's not a public facing or media really facing event. It's more for game developers and people who work in the industry creating games. It's the kind of it's they have like these keynote presentations and it's various developers and people from different. Um, different disciplines throughout the industry kind of come together and they have these panels and discussions and meetings kind of sharing ideas and technologies and happenings uh, throughout. So it kind of helps people who create and make games a reality kind of learn about the latest and greatest. And it, it's really, it's really more of like a, like an informative educational summit for people in the trenches of game development and less of for us like public facing consumers. So to be fair, this isn't really the place where we should expect a full gameplay reveal for Hellblade 2. You know, that's it's not appropriate. That's that, that'd be silly for us to expect that. But the fact that it's been nearly four years, we know nothing about this fucking game, and we finally see it for the first time since before the pandemic and it's just a animation facial tech video uh, from Epic showing off some engine technology. So I understand this is more about showing off some technology for Unreal Engine and less about the actual game itself. But it you know Microsoft has to sign off on this. Microsoft has to agree to to share their game in this way for this demonstration for this for this keynote. And for this to be the first time we've heard of or really seen this game in any meaningful way since its announcement back when the Xbox Series X was announced, <laughs> like that's just it's just such a slap in the in the face because like I mean I feel like all we ever talk about on this podcast is like Xbox, I love you. You got great games. You got really exciting games on the horizon. When do we see the games? When when are the release dates? Like when what what are we what are we waiting for? And this is this is one of the biggest offenders of that of that consistent complaint. It's Hellblade Two. Uh, I mean, listen, Ninja Theory, the developer behind the game, they had kind of a secondary spinoff, like smaller. B-team game came out in 2020. You might remember Bleeding Edge. It was a multiplayer game that failed instantly and catastrophically, although your respect respect for trying. Other than that, they, they've worked on a couple VR projects here and there, some capacity, but they haven't put out a proper full game since 2017 when the first Hellblade came out. 2017. It's been nearly six years since they've put out a game. 
And before that, you know, you know, they they known for their work on Devil May Cry, support work on my beloved Disney Infinity. They made Heavenly Sword back in the PS3 era, but they really haven't put out a game in a very long time. And I understand that being acquired by Xbox and being given all this all these tools and resources definitely kind of probably put them back to square one and and it made them think, okay. We, we got to start this game from from ground zero and, 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 and think big about what we want to do with it now that we now that we're part of Microsoft and we have that kind of capital and those kinds of resources at our disposal. And I, I get that. I respect that. They probably need more time. They probably staffed up further and, and dreamed bigger with their vision for this game. And that takes time. I get it. But boy, it's been like six fucking years. It's time to it's time to show us a little something. I'm not asking for you to put the game out today. I'm not saying you can't show up at GDC and talk about how amazing your technology is. The video is really impressive. It's showing really awesome facial recognition recognition technology. But like, bro, it's just, it's so insulting to see that you're like talking about this game in any capacity and fans haven't been able to get a gameplay reveal or a release date or anything in the 4.6 trillion years since it has been announced. And I just think, again, it's I know I harp on this all the time, but I, I want to hold Xbox accountable. Listen, man, like I, I, I love Xbox. I want this platform to have games. I think it's been a great start to the year so far. We've got some great third-party support. We had some great single uh, first-party support with uh, Hi-Fi Rush. What a great surprise there. Redfall looks fantastic. I'm super excited for Starfield. All the great things we have to say, right? You got a new Minecraft game. We got a new Forza game. But, like, man, cut the bullshit. Where is this Hellblade game? Where is this Fable game? Where is this Perfect Dark game? What the hell happened with Halo? Like, we need to hold these guys accountable. I'm not trying to be a negative Nancy. I'm not trying to be a hater. I just feel like if you love Xbox, if you're trying to be critical of the brand and hold them to account and hold them to a higher standard because, you know, you want your your favorite place to game to be the best place it can be, you, you got to ask yourself, okay, you bought 4.7 trillion studios, okay? It's been a handful of years. Where are some of these games at? What are, what are these teams working on? And uh, I really don't care about, you know, I understand. The re- again, the reason why this video and this news is out there, it's not because of us for the public. It's, it's, it's about... This game developer conference is about the educational purposes for the sake of the games industry. But man, I don't give a shit what kind of photorealistic rendered CGI trailer, whatever thing you can show me. Show me this damn game. Show me the game. <laughs> no game. I don't care. I don't care until you have an actual game running an engine. What it's going to look like when I'm playing the game, you know, from that over the shoulder or behind third person perspective. Let me see the game. All right. 2019. Dude, can you believe it? It's been three and a half years, almost three and a half years, since they announced Hellblade 2 and the Xbox Series X. And this is uh, a game we haven't seen Jack from. All right, next up, this is technically PlayStation news, but I think we have to take note of it because it affects Starfield a lot. So I, I didn't really want to speak to this the past couple of weeks because I feel like it's just been a lot of like speculation, but it's come to fruition. And now I think it's something we got to take note of. Uh, PlayStation's Spider-Man sequel, Spider-Man 2, is currently aiming at a September release date, as claimed by an actor who's worked on the game uh, via social media. Tony Todd, who plays Venom in the Insomniac-developed sequel, seemingly broke protocol on Tuesday of this week by telling a fan that Spider-Man 2's release month uh, looks to be September. This is the same release window uh, that... 
sorry, this is the same release window that uh, publishing sources have recently told VGC. So VGC is corroborating this and saying that they expect it to be September as well, giving a lot more uh, credibility to this 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 comment, seeming that seemingly uh, it does, it's not just a slip up; it, it's it's actual uh, like likely to be true. And then uh, I think the big thing that we had to take into consideration here is well, what's happening in September? That's Xbox's big release month with Starfield. So. The, the reason why we got to talk about this is because the big games for this year, you know, well, Hogwarts Legacy already happened, and then, you know, like Madden and FIFA and Call of Duty, that's all given that will happen, you know, hell or high water. But the big games of the year for 2023 are going to be Spider-Man 2 on, on PlayStation and Starfield on Xbox. And now they're going toe-to-toe with one another. So... This is going to be, you know, Starfield is going to be the biggest game Xbox has had in quite a while. And assuming it doesn't have some kind of catastrophic Halo Infinite type moment, uh, it it will be the biggest first party. I mean, God, think about, genuinely think about, it. like, I can't. We're talking about Starfield. This is the follow up game from the people that make Fallout three and four and Skyrim, fucking Skyrim. Like, this is going to be the biggest first party console exclusive for Xbox. And I mean, Halo Infinite huge launch, super important game kind of got fucked over by uh, just all the factors that be that we don't need to get into right now. So game ended up not landing on its feet as well as it could have, should have. And then you think before that, it's like, I mean, I love Gears 5. I love a lot of the games that happen on Xbox One, but like Quantum Break, Halo 5, Gears 5, these games weren't it. You know, as much as I love those games, as much as I think they're phenomenal games that deserve more attention and more recognition at the time, you know, the fact of the matter is Starfield's probably the biggest game for Xbox since, goddamn, like the Xbox 360 days. I, 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 I think, really, honestly, I just, I cannot think of a bigger first-party exclusive for Xbox in the past, really, the past decade plus. So, needless to say, there's a lot riding on this game. Uh, it, it has everything to prove for Bethesda, and it has everything to prove for Xbox. So this game already had insane high expectations for what it needs to be. You know, Bethesda is a company I think you have to look at and say, even though they're kind of the kings of the game of the kinds of games they make, they've they've been given a lot of competition since the days of Skyrim, since Skyrim originally came out back in 2011. You know, CD Projekt Red has risen to great prominence with the Witcher series and. Uh, with Cyberpunk and stuff like that. Uh, Ubisoft has just gotten bigger and bigger with their Far Cry games. Uh, PlayStation's even jumped in the ring with their Horizon games. Nintendo's even really gotten into the ring with with their Zelda games now being basically these open-world-style games and uh, go on and on and on. Uh, you got freaking Elden Ring, etc., etc. So it's not to say that there's no place for Bethesda or Bethesda isn't still the king. Or I don't really know, honestly. I think Bethesda makes very unique games. The, the interesting thing about this big open world single player space is I think all these big notable titles kind of serve a different piece of the market really like I wouldn't you know it's a we're talking about big single player open world narrative driven RPG style games I wouldn't really say that Zelda Breath of the Wild and Skyrim and uh, Cyberpunk and Red Dead Redemption are all the same exact kind of game even though they all hail from a similar kind of genre or, or, or demand a similar amount of attention and time and, and, and kind of command a similar amount of respect uh, for each game. So I, I don't know. Starfield is just a huge, huge game for Xbox and Bethesda has a lot riding on them to get this right. I think a lot of people now that we have hindsight kind of look back and say, you know, Fallout 3 was goaded. Skyrim was goaded. 
Fallout 4, it's a pretty great game, but a little a little bit of a slip up. It's not it's it just it just didn't it didn't move the needle. It didn't have that wow factor. It was just more of that really good Fallout experience we had. And Starfield can't be that. Starfield's got to be that next step up. It's got to be it's got to be big. And, you know, I think Bethesda has its charms that the others can't compete with. I think Bethesda is somehow just the best at making their worlds the most charming. And this is something I've learned in recent history as I've started to get more into Fallout and, and Elder Scrolls, despite not traditionally being fans of these series, is that there's just something about a Bethesda game where it's like once you really get kind of knee deep into the the core game of it all you just really start to care about like dialogue there's just something about bethesda game where it's like i don't mind having absolutely nonsensical mindless conversations with npcs because for some reason in these games they just know how to make it captivating and enriching whereas you know if i'm playing far cry i don't give a shit what any npc is saying i just want to whip out a gun start shooting stuff and blowing stuff up both single player open world narrative driven fps style games but Far Cry, gameplay, fuck story. Uh, or, you know, fuck moment-to-moment narrative, at least. Or, like, uh, voice acting. I don't know how you want to put it. Maybe just dialogue in general seems to mostly suck. Big story beats are interesting, but, you know, most NPCs don't have anything of value to say. Whereas a game like Skyrim, it's just like, no, no, keep keep talking. Keep bothering me. I just find this charming and captivating for some reason. And and so I, I definitely think Bethesda has its 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 kind of wheelhouse and thing it can lean into, but I just also think the last time Bethesda truly had something that was just like show stopping Skyrim, it was a long time ago. They had a lot less competition and their games were a little jankier, and so they need to come out with Starfield and have a really up to date, super next gen polished version of their engine. They need to have a lot less bugs and a more polished game to put on display. They need to have really good first person shooting controls because remember Starfield's got first person gunplay like 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 destiny style gunplay it's not it can't have that like shitty vat system like fallout has it's got to have legitimate first person combat um and it's just it's that kind of stuff but it also has to retain what makes bethesda games special and then on top of that this game is now pulling double duty by holding weight for uh holding weight for for xbox and their first party lineup and Man, that's a, that's a lot to prove because unless you're someone like me who's out here just screaming from the rooftops, you stupid motherfuckers, you should have played Quantum Break, you should have played uh, Sunset Overdrive, you should have you should have respected Halo 5 because it was a great game, you were just too stupid to get it. You know, aside from people like me who are out here screaming that shit for the past decade or so, the most of the world's looking at Xbox and they're saying they haven't had a real big notable hit in a long-ass time. And Starfield, it's got to be that hit. Like, at this point, like, think about it. Like, what could Xbox do if Starfield is not that game? And so now, you know, PlayStation's going toe-to-toe with them in September with Spider-Man 2. And all I got to say is this, man. Insomniac, they don't miss. Insomniac can't make a bad game. They just fucking can't do it. It's it's not possible. I've said it forever. Dude, there's one team PlayStation owns that I wish Xbox could just fucking, you know, I'm grabbing that. God, Insomniac. They're one top five greatest developers of all time. They've always have been. Ratchet and Clank, always great. All their Spider-Man games, super great. Fucking Resistance games, great. Everything Insomniac touches turns to gold. And I just, there's no chance in hell Spider-Man 2 is going to be anything less than excellent. A- absolutely excellent. And also, it's Spider-Man. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't need... It doesn't need to sell you on something new and exciting because everyone loves Spider-Man. Everyone's going to want to drop everything to play the new Spider-Man game. So Sony's got that in the bag. 
And now Xbox has got a lot on the line, a lot to prove in really stiff competition around the same time. This is a big one. And obviously, you know, Starfield will also be on PC and Starfield will be a Game Pass game. So Xbox has got a lot of those things kind of beefing up their numbers and it's going to give them a huge edge and help them kind of get a lot more attention and traction and a lot more people through the door because that barrier to entry is going to be so much lower than Spider-Man 2 being a PlayStation 5 exclusive game for $70 full stop, you know? Game probably won't come to PC for 6 or 12 months after its PS5 release. So, yeah, Xbox has that advantage there, but Starfield cannot be like Fallout 4. It cannot be a really solid entry in the Bethesda Game Studios lineup. It has to be it has to be it has to be Skyrim. It has to be boundary pushing next gen it has to light a fire under the ass the collective ass of the industry like it just has to be big and man i feel like thinking about todd howard and the team like good fucking luck i'm sure those guys are not they're probably not sleeping well at night right now they're probably like god damn got it got to get this game right so it's a lot riding on starfield all right next up for our updates and stories of mild amusement i consider this an update so we talked about suicide squad killed with justice league last week and how it seems like uh it's, it could be getting up to a year of a worth of a delay uh, following some not so great reception to the recent gameplay reveal. However, it seems like uh, dropping live service elements from the game is highly unlikely, according to a Bloomberg source, which claimed that Warner has decided to push the title from its current May 2023 release to the second half of the year. So more likely it'll release still in this year, but it'll just probably be in the fall. Following the report, Giant Bomb reporter Jeff Grubb said that a reliable source told him that the game could not arrive till 2024, possibly. So who knows? Maybe it's late 2023. Maybe it's sometime in 2024. Doesn't do us any good speculating. We'll find out when we find out. However, while Warner has yet to comment on the report of the delay, the journalist who originally broke the story now suggests extra development time is being used to polish the game rather than to rework its controversial live service elements. Rocksteady, quote, Rocksteady has not yet announced the Suicide Squad delay, so perhaps there's still no new date, Bloomberg's uh, Jason Schreier tweeted. However, staff... We're told a few weeks ago that's coming later this year, and they still don't know when. Possibly slips into 2024, but one thing is for certain, the core game is not changing. This is a polish delay, not a let's try to shift away from this live service stuff people are not having. It's, you know, the game is what the game is. And this this actually makes me a little more confident and comfortable with what the, what's happening with this game because even though, yes, I too would prefer this not to be some kind of live service-esque game, I would I'd prefer for it to just be a narrative-driven kind of like, single player game the fact of the matter is the game is what the game is it's been it's been development for so long at this point there's just no you know you can't you can delay it a full year you can't dismantle this game and reshape and reform everything it is you can tweak things about the loot system and the leveling system and all this stuff but at the end of the day it's going to be about grinding loot and changing this outfit piece and this equipment piece and this weapon and all that stuff it's going to be about that no matter what the game is what the game is your options at this point are to scrap it which they're not going to do or just polish it up and make it the best game it can be so even if it's not exactly what everyone wants it can at least be a very high quality game so no one can dispute the quality of the final product they can they can disagree with the direction they went with the game but they can't disagree with the fact that the game is really well put together really polished really well play tested and very complete and finalized so at least have that you gotta keep in mind dude at the end of the day you know us, us hardcore gamers who are gonna bitch and moan about live service elements like we're, we're a small minority because the fact of the matter is most people who buy this game and this game is gonna sell by the millions are gonna say the fucking suicide squad a justice league game a new justice league game yes Yes, purchase. They don't care. 
They don't care if it's like the Batman Arkham games. They don't care if it's like Destiny. They, they don't care. They just want the new Suicide Squad game. And so I think that's something we got to keep in mind is that it just doesn't make sense to try and restructure this game at this point because even if it does lose, you know, it, maybe if it does cost Rocksteady a little bit of their their kind of fanfare and their kind of uh, notoriety as one of the premier game studios and everything for their work on the Batman Arkham games, you know, it's still going to sell like crack because it's a, it's a DC superhero game. So... I mean, if you're if you're WB, at some point you gotta be focused on the bottom line because that's what businesses are for, and not not for catering to the uh, the the will of the fans, even when the fans are no doubt right. So we'll we'll come back to that later. I think we got a comment later on uh, about Suicide Squad, so we'll probably circle back to it. I don't want to spend too much time on it for now. Uh, instead, let's talk about Crash Team Rumble, which was announced at the Game Awards back in December. Well, Activision has now announced a full release date as well as a beta for the game. The 4v4 multiplayer game will be released on June 20th for Xbox consoles, one and series units. Uh, a closed beta will take place on April 20th to 24th for players who pre-order the game. The beta will feature five characters, Crash, Coco, Tana, Neo, Cortex, and Dingo Dial. I haven't said that name since 1999. And uh, the beta will also have three maps. Crash Team Rumble will cost $30 for the standard edition and $40 for the deluxe edition. The standard edition will include the game closed beta access, and the premium battle pass for Season 1 for those who pre-order. Uh, players have to work together to bank the most Wumpa fruit for their drop-off zone while preventing the opponent from doing the same. I feel like this sounds like a really good free-to-play game. Activision has also confirmed that the game will include cross-platform play, so be able uh, you'll be able to play with your PlayStation buddies who are telling you that Starfield sucks and that Xbox is trash. Crash Team Rumble is being developed by Toys for Bob, a studio behind the Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy, Spyro Ignited Trilogy, Crash Bandicoot 4, It's About Time, and from time to time, uh, a team that gets thrown on Call of Duty support talent. So it's always good when we get to see them flex their muscles and do something that isn't Call of Duty. So in this case, I'll take it, although there, I think there is some division and concern about this uh, paid multiplayer-only Crash game, but I think it's still in the spirit of Crash. Crash has had a, a, a kart racing game. It's had a party game back in the PS1 days. I think having this kind of multiplayer 4v4 game is in the spirit of the franchise, and I'm actually a little more open-minded and optimistic to it. I just think from a logistic standpoint, I don't, I don't know how 30 or $40 is going to play out for this game. I feel like this game maybe should have been a free-to-play game with season passes, but we'll have to wait and see. I don't think this game is going to do particularly well, but it doesn't look bad. I watched the new trailer for it. I think it actually looks quite quite good. I think it could be a fun weekend with friends romping around and some multiplayer uh, shenanigans, but let's be honest. If I'm playing anything multiplayer, it's going to be Call of Duty, and it's going to be by myself with my headphones in, getting all emo while I uh, no-scope some fucking noobs on uh, on some league play because I'm just I'm fucking lit and dope at the same time. Anyway, Ubisoft, let's talk about them. And let's get through it real fast because it's kind of boring one. But Ubisoft has unveiled a new AI tool. They claim it's developing to assist script writing. According to the publisher, Ubisoft's Ghostwriter will be used to generate the first draft of chatter of crowds and trigger NPC lines. What these sounds and phrases will be central to immersing players in the game's world. Ubisoft said using AI will help them do so by enabling its narrative teams to work on less repetitive tasks. Quote, introducing Ubisoft Ghost Writer, an AI tool developed in-house that aims to support script writers in generating the first draft of NPC uh, barks and phrases or sounds made by NPCs when players interact in the game world. The tool was created in hand with script writers to create more realistic NPCs uh, and by generating variations on a piece of dialogue. See how 
our teams will use AI to handle repetitive tasks and free up time and work on core game elements. So this is smart. This is this is kind of like that stuff that uh, that Aaron Greenberg talks about sometimes, where he's like, "Listen, man, we we got to use AI and these advanced computer te- uh, techniques to the benefit of game development." And this is exactly that. Like you can you can imagine developers just just coding for hours and hours and hours. Like, okay, if the player runs up to NPC, NPC will go, whoa, hold it, man, are you in a rush? Uh, If player walks past NPC but does not brush them, NPC will say, hey, you, over there, I got something for you. Uh, And then they'll code, um, if player is very far away from NPC, player may faintly hear NPC say, hey, you, come over here. It's like, that's just, that's just stupid. It's, it, listen, games are so expensive to make, games are so time consuming to make. It's about those kinds of things. It's about, building an algorithm that can maybe make NPCs a little smarter so that the the system can kind of generate if-then scenarios and, and some natural dialogue for NPCs to say. It will not only save a lot of development time, uh, which is needed, especially if you're Ubisoft and you're kind of in this development uh, limbo with all your fucking properties right now, but it's also um, it's also really smart and, and, and it could lead, could, important parties, could lead to more intelligent and... and uh, less cringy NPC writing, uh, just because you know so much of the times it is just like you can tell when you listen to NPCs just say stuff in the game world. It's like oh my god, these poor developers—they're just bored out of their minds. And sometimes NPCs NPCs say really ridiculous things because you can also tell it's like well, you can tell they just had to get stuff in here and they kind of let these guys go wild with saying whatever the hell they wanted. But also to the benefit of players, I feel like this could go worst case scenario, and these NPCs could say some wild ass shit, and we could get some really really funny clips and memes out of uh, out of something like this going haywire. So I'm actually all for this. I think there's a really creative and effective use of AI technology, and I, I just gotta be honest, it's not really what the story calls for. Um, but just kind of anecdotally and, and, and tangentially, I, I gotta say I'm a huge fan of of, of AI and, and embracing this kind of technology, and I understand people's apprehension. I think a lot of it is kind of overblown like media like scare speak about like your computer's going to take over and Bing's going to fucking rule the world if you ask it to do your homework or some shit like that but i i i do think we companies have to be held to account and have to be responsible with these things and it is somewhat a little bit of a you know murky waters we're treading here but i also think at the same time fucking bring on the future man i love this shit i love seeing crazy new technology introduced i love seeing us move things forward and do new unknown stuff. Every day that we get a little closer into this kind of cyberpunk future, I'm like, listen, the economy is already fucked all around the world. World governments are already the absolute worst. Nobody gives a shit about working class people. Nobody gives a shit about whether or not you got clean drinking water or a fair chance of having a decent life. No government or corporation cares about that. So forget about that aspect of life and let's just lean real hard into the cool shit like the fucking installing computer chips in our brains and AI being our best friends. Like I'm all for that part. The other shit that's inevitable. We've already seen that stuff happening for years and years and years. There's nothing we can do about that. We're all too powerless. But the fucking AI NPCs and and, and the computer chips and the robotic arms and shit like that, I'm I'm fucking ready for it, man. I embrace it. Ubisoft, some good shit. Just don't try to turn it into an NFT is all I ask. All right. Last story of model amusement or update, um, I guess if you want to put that, although this doesn't really fit either of those categories. Just want to pay my respects. Some sad news. Um, Lance Reddick, the actor known in the gaming world for his role in Destiny 2, games like Destiny 2, Horizon Forbidden West, Quantum Break, shout out to Quantum Break, uh, has sadly and tragically passed at age 60. Uh, so this is, according to TMZ, the actor who shot, fam- uh, who 
who shot to fame in roles like HBO's The Wire and John Wick's franchise, the John Wick franchise, uh, was found dead at his Studio City home uh, last Friday morning. Uh, the cause of death is currently unclear, but law enforcement sources say that seems to have been of natural causes. Uh, Reddick had been due to appear in the on the Kelly Clarkson show to promote his um, his role in the I think it's out now John Wick Four. I think it comes out this week, so it's really sad shit. Um, Reddick, you know, for 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 a lot of us Xbox players, might know him best uh, for his role as Commander Zavala in the Destiny franchise. The actor played a central role in destiny 2 since the release of the or in featured heavily in several of the uh, expansions including most recently uh lightfall the expansion that just came out a few weeks ago so man all i gotta say to that is uh a big old nerdy rest in peace guardian that shit actually is pretty sad to see um you know lance reddick i feel like he's one of those guys that has such an iconic voice you know you hear him and you just immediately know he has one of those like it's just kind of like it's soothing it's deep. It, it commands a level of respect, but it's also like kind of warm and calming. It's just he he is uh he's he he's kind of a shining example of how like voice voice acting is such. I mean, he's a real actor as well, like, you know, re, real actor. He 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 does live action acting as well. Um, but I of course being a predominantly a video game kind of person, know him best for his voice acting work, and he's definitely one of those people. It's like you, you know him when you hear him. Uh, Lance Reddick is definitely. He's definitely one of those voices just like, oh, yeah, this fucking, he's dope. He's, he's got a good voice. He always plays cool roles. And uh, I got to say, man, I, I've been playing Destiny since the day the first Destiny came out. I waited at GameStop till midnight to pick up Destiny 1 back in September of 2014. And uh, ever since then, day one, I've been a Titan. So needless to say, uh, to say Zavala is my, uh, he's kind of my guardian mentor, so. Rest in peace. That's a uh, really sad shit. I, you know, 60s, 60s pretty young and totally unexpected, obviously. So I think a lot of the world, this is one of those celebrity passings that's kind of shaken up a lot of people. And it's, uh, I, th- I think it's pretty fucking sad. So shout out to Lance Reddit. Thank you for Reddit. Thank you for your work. And, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, good wishes and, and, uh, hoping the best for his family and friends and loved ones. Cause that's the absolute worst. All right, guys, so that's it for all of our stories of mild amusement and corrections and updates and Activision and fanboyism. Honestly, we could end the podcast there and it'd be a pretty complete episode, but we're not going to do that because we got comments. We got what I've been eating. We got news. We got so much to talk about. You guys want to talk about fucking Polly Pockets making the comeback, guys. You know she's going to be she's going to be launching a new game on the Series X. I, I hear I hear that it might even have some co-development from the, the, the Coalition, so who knows. But uh, let's first talk about the games I've been playing this week. Uh, but before I can tell you about the games I've been playing, i got to tell you about what I've been eating. Guys, I want to ask you a simple question. When it comes to Chinese takeout, where do we fall on the fortune cookie? What 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 do we, what do we do with the fortune cookie? The fortune cookie, everyone everyone knows of the fortune cookie. You order some American Chinese takeout, whatever it is, you know your local Chinese spot that tastes basically the same as everywhere else you go for generic Chinese takeout. They always give you the fortune cookie. It's a little the little uh little, little cookie little cracker thing, and it's got a little bit of a sweetness to it, but it's kind of mild and boring and. Little cardboardy, and you crack it open. It's got a little slit of paper in there, and it says something like, uh, uh, "You are more than you think you are." And then you flip it around, it gives you some lotto numbers. And here's the thing about the fortune cookie: is do we eat it? 
Are you eating the fortune cookie? Who is eating the fortune cookie? Confession time, I'm eating the fortune cookie. I've always been, the thing is, I've never enjoyed fortune cookies, but I feel a sense of obligation every time I, I eat Chinese food that when I'm done with my meal, I gotta eat the fortune cookie because it's there. It's meant to be consumed at the end. It is the signifier that tells you your meal is over. You've successfully consumed 1,400 calories and a million pounds of oil uh, worth of Chinese takeout, and you're dying. And I just feel like you didn't finish the job if you don't eat the fortune cookie. You know, earlier this week at work, we ordered some Chinese food. I was like, you know, I'm feeling Chinese takeout. A couple of coworkers, we all went in on an order, had it had it delivered. And uh, I noticed I was the only one that ate the fortune cookie. Everyone else just kind of had their fortune cookie laying out there on their desk, but no one else ate it. And so I'm here to ask you, where do you stand on the fortune cookie? I know it's not particularly good. I know it's it's not some authentic Chinese thing. It's this American creation, blah, 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 blah. It's a little factoid, blah, blah, blah. But it's, it's, it is a part of the cultural fabric of the American Chinese food takeout experience. And... It's an iconic part, you know. You'd feel you'd even if you're not a fan of the of the fortune cookie, wouldn't you feel a little bit robbed if you went to your local favorite Chinese spot and you picked up your order just to realize they didn't put fortune cookies in the bag? They forgot it. They left it out. So it's it's a necessary component of the experience. I feel, and so even though you might not love it or like it, even you do you do need it, don't you? So. It's my question to you. It's my it's my food-related topic that's just been sitting there on my mind, kind of gnawing at me, keeping me awake at night, I, I might even say. I definitely lost about an hour and 47 minutes of sleep last night just due to the very, the very notion of the fortune cookie. And so I want to throw it out to you guys, ask you, where do you stand on this? And uh, while we wait for those responses, let's move on to the uh, what I've been playing this week. Let's talk about the games I've been playing. So full disclosure, uh, it was my, my girlfriend's birthday. Happy birthday. And uh, so I didn't I didn't have a lot of gaming time this weekend. I, I tried to be a good boyfriend and to avoid the Xbox and to avoid the video games and make the whole weekend about spending time with her. So even though there were some some brief moments of opportunity to maybe sneak in a couple games of Halo or Call of Duty or maybe uh, a couple fights on Guilty Gear, I, for the most part, I tried to stay away. I tried to say no. And so I haven't actually been playing that. I haven't spent that much time with gaming this past week, although I did manage to get some decent time in on Monday and a little bit here and there earlier in the last week. So whatever, Let, let's, let's, let's talk about it. Let's talk about the games I've been kind of playing. I'm still working through Fallout 76. It's kind of funny because my experience with Fallout 76, I, I shouldn't be proud of it. I should be ashamed to admit this, but I'm really enjoying this game. And this comes from the perspective of someone who has never played Fallout New Vegas, which is the one everyone says is the best Fallout game. You got to play it. I have started Fallout 3 maybe four or five times in my lifetime, gotten about an hour to three hours in, and then gone, I'm not feeling it right now, maybe next time. And then I've played Fallout 4 until, I don't know, three quarters, maybe 80% of the story, and then just put the game down and never came back to it. So I have a lot of exposure to Fallout, but... I'm not a buff on this franchise by any stretch of the imagination. So naturally you might think, well, Jesse, you need to rectify this. Go back and finish, you know, play Fallout 3 to completion or give New Vegas a try. It's the best game in the series. You'll love it. Play Fallout New Vegas. I understand that is the natural way to go. But for some stupid, mentally insufficient reason, my brain was like, you need to go play Fallout 76, the one everybody hates and constantly shits on because 
you're stupid and you're dumb at the same time, really, quite literally. And so, I don't know. I'm playing Fallout 76. My Cronky my, my, kind of put me onto it a little bit. He was like, oh, maybe we, maybe we can play it together because it's got multiplayer, right? And I was like, okay, maybe. And then I, like, ironically booted it up one day, and I've been a little hooked on it. So we talked about that a little bit last week. But the thing is, this week, every time I, I get a chance to play gaming, I just turn on Fallout 76 for, like, 45 minutes, maybe a little bit before bed every night. And I just I just play a little. I do, like a quest maybe you know i get a little bit of progress done I do 20 minutes of exploring 30 minutes of questing and then i get off for the night and i go to bed and it's just become this weird nighttime ritual for me these past two weeks of just this really good game that i'm just so slowly making my way through getting almost no progress done i mean I, i'm probably like four hours into a playthrough that i spent two weeks on like it's that that little but i'm just really enjoying this game again it's that thing I guess this is what I should say is it's been my time with Fallout 76 these past two weeks has been kind of getting me hyped for Starfield a little bit because it's reminding me of what Bethesda does right, which is just this this random meandering through a world and then in coming in contact with NPCs that I don't begrudge the the you know the obligation to interact with. You know, like I'm like, oh, an NPC. Let's see what kind of ridiculous conversation I can get myself into. And you go down these massive dialogue trees with tons of options and they're they're interesting. They're compelling. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, I like this. I don't know why I like this so much, but in this game, I like it. In most games, I don't like it. But in this game, I like it. And it's just got that typical fallout factor. Now, I know when 76 first launched, apparently one of the big, big gripes of many complaints uh, was that the game really didn't have proper NPC support. Like, it was kind of an empty, barren, characterless world. But, again, I didn't play the game up until very, very recently, so that's not my experience. I'm getting what feels to me like a pretty standard Fallout game because I'm just going through it kind of single-player style, and I'm interacting with NPCs, and it just feels like I'm playing Fallout, like just like I did when I played Fallout 4. So I don't know. I'm, I'm really enjoying this game, and I finally went ahead and bit the bullet. You know, last week I said I was playing it on uh, through cloud streaming, and I bit the bullet this week and said, no, nah, I'm going to download it. I downloaded the damn game onto my, onto my Series X, and I'm playing it. Funny little anecdote, the game loads way slower <laughs> on my hard drive than it did when I uh, streamed it, so maybe I should just go back to streaming, but... Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm really enjoying this game. I don't have a whole lot to say about it um, other than just um, it's just been a soothing little unwinding trick for me these past few weeks. And I don't see myself stopping anytime soon, although I'm not taking my time with this game to be very serious about it. I don't necessarily think I'm going to complete any main quests or roll any credits or I don't really even know how you quote-unquote beat this game, seeing that it is a little more like MMO kind of oriented. But I just want to continue to enjoy it until I'm not enjoying it anymore, I guess. I'm just I'm just playing a little bit at a time, and I don't see it ending anytime soon. But Fallout 76 is really getting me. Um, Sam Torres even wrote in and says, Kudos to you, Jesse, for playing Fallout 76 on cloud. When the wheels roll on cloud, man, it's wonderful. Got to play more games this way and screw resources on Xbox end. Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, this this game has definitely been a testament to the power of cloud streaming, especially if you have decent internet and you're playing a game like this that's a little slower and doesn't necessarily require super immediate response times. Um, it's perfect for cloud streaming. It's really impressive how much better this technology has just gotten over the past few years that's been out because I remember I played, I used cloud streaming mostly probably around 2019 when it first started, but um, this is the first time since then I've really spent decent time with cloud streaming and 
I'm just really blown away by how not terrible the experience is. It's actually quite good most of the times. I do have some days where it's just not working as well, but for the most part, it's it's working pretty great for me, and uh, it's just super impressive technology, man. You can see why Xbox is so hell-bent on continuing to double and triple down on this, because one day this will be just so, so good, and Xbox wants to be there at the forefront of it. So I, I don't blame them, and I totally get it, because I can see a future where, th where this is as good as it gets, you know? So, anyway. Uh, the other game I've been playing this week is just Guilty Gear Strive. I've been watching a lot of YouTube tutorials, um, just trying to get better at the game, take it serious, learn the combos, learn the inner workings of it, and see kind of how the game is played. Um, this is a game I definitely see myself completely giving up on after maybe, you know, a few more hours of, but I'm surprised. I've put maybe like three hours into Guilty Gear. I've watched a lot of YouTube videos just trying to learn kind of the fundamentals of it. And uh, it's really funny. I thought it had a story. There's a story mode. I thought it would be like Soul Calibur or Mortal Kombat where it's like little cutscenes and then like a like a couple battles, like whatever. Uh, no, uh, Guilty Gear Strive story mode is quite literally a four and a half hour um, anime that's just loaded onto the game. Uh, I made it 20 minutes into the uh, into the four and a half hour video before I had to look it up online and realize that there's no gameplay. This is just a four and a half hour long cutscene. So, uh, fun fact. Uh, but arcade mode's really fun. I've been going through a lot of the trainings and, and things like that and just trying to learn the game inside and out. And I'm having a pretty decent time with it. It's actually a really cool game. Um, and I think the main through line for, for me is just uh, how... Well, well, it's twofold, I guess. It's how good the game is at trying to make the game accessible for people like me who don't traditionally play fighting games. And that's number one. And number two, I think, is that the game is just so damn beautiful. It's such a pretty game. I cannot believe just how good this game looks. It's so pleasing to the eyes. Um, I, I Honestly, and this might be a controversial thing to say, other than like Marvel vs. Capcom 2, I don't know if I've ever seen a prettier fighting game. And I, I know there are people who will, what are you talking, Street Fighter 2, blah, 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 edition, because there's like 8.5 trillion versions of that game. I get it. Listen, man, Street Fighter 2 is a beautiful game. I get, I get the love for it. I think it's an aesthetically pleasing game to look at as well. But, man, other than Marvel vs. Capcom 2, I think I think Guilty Gear Strive might be my favorite fighting game just in terms of its, its aesthetic. It's just so stupid good looking, man. It's like 20-something frame per second kind of like anime, like, like blocky movement that's just so... It's like so smooth despite it being intentionally slowed down and just the fucking style. These characters with these insane outfits, this fucking witch with an electric guitar and this girl with a freaking dolphin attack and all this crap. It's just so ridiculous. You play as... You, the, the, the good guy in the story's name is Soul Bad Guy. His name is Soul Bad Guy and he's the fucking good guy and he's so fucking stupid cool and I, I hate this game. Every character looks dumb and ridiculous and I love them all. And I just, there's so much style, there's so much pizzazz. It's so Japanese for some fucking reason every time you get into a match. And so it's it's super annoying if you're playing arcade mode because, you know, arcade mode is like eight matches back to back to back. Every time you play a match, it has this like fucking bald eagle that just goes bah, bah, and just flies through the sky for like ten seconds. And then it plays this little voiceover that's like mankind was so evil that they could not agree on on it's like they could not see eye to eye or something so they turned to the beast to settle their disagreements heaven and hell i'm like what the fuck does that mean who like god like i don't even think that means something in japanese there's that's not a translation issue that's just stupidity that just means absolutely nothing but in the case of guilty gear strive 
This adds to the game. This makes the game better. It's so, so good. I gotta remember exactly what it was. It's, it's literally like, mankind could not divide. Could not, could not, could not uh, agree on their divide, so they had to turn to the beast. Heaven and hell. Or so, something like that. Like, what the fuck is that? And it's, I, I don't know, I love this game. It's endearing. It's, it's beautiful. Uh, it's kind of fun to play when I, when I feel like I'm getting the hang of it. And when I'm not, I'm at least encouraged enough to kind of stick with it. I, I do have to be honest. I think a large part of why I'm really taking to this game isn't necessarily because it's an exceptional fighter game. I think it's because it's just the one I arbitrarily decided to be loyal to and stick with. Um, I think I could probably have fun with, you know, any fucking Dragon Ball fighter or one of the many, 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 many versions of Street Fighter 2, which has been released every fucking two years since uh, 10 years before I was born. Uh, but, you know, this is just randomly the one I took to and decided, I think I'm going to try to care about this one. So may maybe it's not exceptional. Maybe if you're a fighting game fan and you you're like, Jesse, Guilty Gear Strive is good shit, but come on, brother. There's there are many other games you need to give some praise to. I don't know. I, I'm an I'm inexperienced. I'm a I'm a virgin in this genre of gaming, really, for the most part. So really enjoying that. Uh, but yeah, those are really the only games I've been playing this week, to be quite honest with you. Um, other than that, uh, I, I saw that the Diablo 4 beta took place this past week. I know people are really hyped on that. Apparently, the, the reception to it was basically that this game is awesome. It's the best Diablo since Diablo 2. It's it's everything we could have hoped for and more, and people are so high on it. I know it had some issues with long wait times to get into the game, yada, 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 but it seems like for the most part, the game is turning out pretty well, and people are really excited about it. So that makes me really happy to see as well if you happened to play the beta and got into it and spent some time with it let me know what you think i'd love to get some takes from you guys diablo is a little bit of a blind spot for me it's not a game i have a terrible amount of experience with played a little bit of diablo 2 back in the day really not enough to speak to uh i played more diablo 3 on the xbox one but even then i'm talking five six hours of diablo 3 um it's just a series that traditionally doesn't really speak to me so uh yeah if, if you're someone who did dive into the diablo 4 beta love to hear your feedback just kind of what you think about it good and bad uh, but yeah, that's really it for what I've been playing. That's all I got to say about the games I've immediately spent time with as of late. But I, I say two and a half hours in the podcast. Let's just go ahead and get into the uh, get into the news. What do you guys say? We only have about three news stories this week, but we'll make the most of it. I'm sure we can stretch it out another three hours. So let's uh, let's jump in all that. Alrighty then, into the news we go. Like I said, about three stories here. Starting off with the uh, the big one, of course. Talking about Xbox's mobile game store initiative and how it could potentially launch next year. Anyway, from VGC, Microsoft's head of gaming has suggested the company's planned mobile game store may be coming by next year. Speaking to Financial Times, Phil Spencer reiterates plans to launch an Xbox-branded app store for both iOS and Android devices and explained that Microsoft is already preparing uh, for the date at which it could be legally possible. In an interview, Spencer cited that Digital Markets Act, a new piece of legislation that will force Apple and Google to allow its users to access their apps from more than just the App Store or Google Play Store. The Digital Marketing Acts Act that's coming, uh, those are the kinds of things that we are planning for, Spencer explained, adding, I think it's a huge opportunity. The G Digital Markets Act was signed into law by European Parliament in September of 2022 to become applicable on May 2nd, 2023. The law will Id identify digital gatekeepers, quote unquote, who are accused of using their power to prevent alternative companies from taking part in digital sales. 
Once the gatekeepers are identified, they will have to start complying with the act by March 6 of 2024, so in about a year. In Apple and Google's case, this will include allowing other app stores to be installed on iOS and Android devices, theoretically, assuming the legislation isn't appealed, delaying the deadline to, uh, from March 6, 2024. The date is now uh, from which Microsoft could add the Xbox Game Store to mobile devices. Quote, we want to be able in a position to offer Xbox content from both us and our third-party partners across the screens where somebody would uh, want to play, Phil Spencer explained in Financial Times. Today, we can't do that on mobile devices, but we want to build towards a world where we think we'll be coming where those devices are opened up. Microsoft's already stated that the main reason for the proposed Activision Blizzard deal is the company's existing mobile presence, ranging from COD Mobile to the games released by its subsidiary King, including Candy Crush. In a regulatory finding posted back in October, Microsoft stated the acquisition would improve its ability to create an next-gen game store, a next-gen game store, which operates across a range of devices, including mobile as a result of the addition uh, of Microsoft in Activision Blizzard, sorry, the addition of Activision Blizzard's content. They also added that building on Activision Blizzard's existing communities of gamers, Xbox will seek to scale the Xbox store to mobile, attracting gamers to a new Xbox mobile platform. Lastly, they said shifting consumers away from Google Play Store and App Store on iOS uh, mobile devices will, however, require a major shift in consumer behavior. Microsoft hopes to offer a new, well-known, popular content. Gamers will be more inclined to try something new if that is the case. Spencer also claimed that the Xbox will that Xbox will struggle to continue as a global business if they can't establish a mobile foothold. Okay, so we did talk about this a little bit back when this story initially started shifting or or, or coming out rather. Uh, the the thing is, there there are two things holding this up. One, it's 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 the legality situation. It's it, if and when this deal gets enacted, this this act, um, and if all goes well, it will be enacted in about two months and go into effect next March. So that's part one of it. I think part two is Microsoft isn't really ready to pull the trigger on anything until they got Activision Blizzard under their wheelhouse because they're really heavily relying on that King branding cachet in, in library of games in order to be able to kind of bolster and justify this new Xbox store for mobile op for mobile operating systems. So right now as it stands on mobile, for those of you that use iPhone, um, your only option is the Apple App Store. Um, it's only ever been, it's only, always been your only option. So you're probably already familiar with that. You can't download another App Store or get your games from elsewhere. It's really, you gotta, it's apps that are allowed on Apple's App Store where Apple can gatekeep and control what does and doesn't get on and approve and disapprove and all this stuff. And we saw that come to a, a head when, when Game Pass was denied access on Apple's um, App Store because they were like, oh, well, we can't regulate all the content and approve all the content that gets put into Game Pass. And everyone's like, well, what about Netflix? And Apple was like, we're hypocrites. Fuck you and watch Ted Lasso, you dumb bitch. And so Microsoft had to do the, the workaround where in order to play Game Pass on your iOS device, you had to go to a web browser, go to the Game Pass website and stream it directly from the website. A little uh, um, inelegant, but nonetheless, it was a decent workaround for a situation they can't control. Uh, if you're an Android user, the uh, situation's technically different, although not much different. Because if you're an Android user, you actually, maybe you don't know. I'm sure most Android users probably don't know. Um, but at least Samsung phone owners will probably be familiar with the Galaxy App Store. So technically, you can have third-party app stores on Android. Google makes you jump through fucking hoops to do it. And if you download a different app store, they 
make you feel like you're downloading malware and they try to scare you off from doing it. But by default, every Android phone has the Google Play Store downloaded. That is the default app store. Um, if you have a Samsung device, it has the Galaxy Play Store also downloaded. So you have two, play, two app stores. Um, that is Samsung's app store. The only reason why Samsung gets away with that is because Samsung is by far the biggest OEM seller of Android devices. They are such a major part of the Android ecosystem that they, they are able to leverage that power and that position with Google to try and get those deals done and get that special privilege. So that's why maybe if you've always been a Samsung Galaxy user, you might be like, yeah, there's a Samsung has an app store on phones as well. Yeah, that's the exception. That's not the rule. If you have any other Android phone, your device only comes with the Google Play Store by default. And if you try to download another app store, which there are others in existence, I'm not terribly familiar with them. I've never really tried to seek them out and get another one. Uh, but if you try to get another one, uh, Google makes it really scary and tries to make it seem like you're installing malware and it's going to fuck your phone up. So that's kind of the scare cat tactic that Google uh, has always used on Android. And it's kind of like that, you know, that thing where it's like, Android's open, you can customize and do whatever you want. And unlike Apple, they won't let, they won't stop you from what you want to do. But yeah, in this case, Google is going to try their very best to stop you, even though technically, yeah, it's not wrong. You can do what you want and download what you want, I guess. Um, so that's just kind of the way it's always been. And that's one of the many, many, many downsides to a world in which there is a duopoly in the mobile handset space. But I guess, uh, I, I suppose that's what capitalism decided is that we should have a, a monopoly on the, on the mobile market because, uh, you know, when we had other players like <clears throat> Windows Phone, uh, this damn fucking consumers didn't 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 take to it, and then we only had, uh, you know, the only ones that were able to sustain and survive were Android and iOS. So that's uh, just one of the many perks of uh, capitalism. So we have uh, this monopoly of the mobile market, and Google and Apple together run a fucking racket and uh, use use their power for evil. And so now, thankfully, uh, there's some form of regulation happening onto these companies where they're being forced to essentially open it up, let other companies be able to make their own app stores. Imagine, it's like, we, we're all familiar with Windows PCs. Can you imagine if it's like, uh-uh-uh-uh-uh, no, Steam is not allowed on Windows. No Steam. You can't have Steam. There's the Microsoft Store that nobody even fucking uses. Um, you can use the Microsoft Store, but no Steam allowed. No Epic Game Store. No any of that shit. It's like, that's that's essentially what this is, what this comes down to is, can you imagine a world where Microsoft says, no one can have their own app store on, on Windows. You can just put your programs and your apps and your games in the Microsoft Store, but no, you can't have Steam, you can't have Epic Game Store, et cetera, et cetera. That's, that's essentially what this comes down to. And Microsoft, what they're looking to do is, as soon as this deal is done, where they acquire Activision Blizzard King, and as soon as this act is uh, put into effect and, and they're able to start legally making their own mobile store and putting it on iOS and Android, then they can try to build a bigger presence on mobile by saying, hey, download this app store, this Xbox app store, on your iOS or Android device, it will be a home for all things Xbox. We're talking about Xbox games, Game Pass, Activision Blizzard games, King games. And so that way it can kind of market itself to everyone. It can say, hey, Americans, you know, Americans that prefer home console gaming, stream your Starfield and Halo to your heart's content on your Samsung Galaxy or your iPhone 14 Max X Pro 2 9L, whatever. Or, hey, Chinese market, uh, you guys love mobile games. Download your fucking Genshin Impact. No, download your Call of Duty mobile or whatever the hell it is uh, through your Xbox app and get all these special bonuses, you know, 
get special achievements and reward points and all this stuff. And they'll try to come up with ways to incentivize and attract and make it look lucrative and beneficial to play your games through this Microsoft App Store. I assume they'll have kinds of in-game incentives and rewards for playing um, the game downloaded from the Microsoft or Xbox App Store as opposed to just downloading from the Google Play Store or the iOS App Store. Um, and so I, I assume that this is the kind of platform they're looking to build. And the reason to do this is once they have Activision Blizzard, as I was kind of alluding to a second ago, they'll kind of have properties, games that they can use and leverage to kind of market to all all the various parts of the world. You know, you're free to play mobile garbage for the for the Asian market. Uh, it's no offense to Asia; they're just shitty. Mobile games are just really fucking big over there. Is all I'm saying. You know, your your full fledged traditional console games that really don't work well on mobile that you can play on mobile anyway, I guess, if you want for the for the Western market or for the super casuals who say that they're not gamers, but, you know, they play hours and hours and hours of Candy Crush Saga and have done so for 12 years in a row now. You know, you can get those guys by saying, hey, we've got all your favorite games from King and Activision Blizzard, whatever. And so by having that, you know, Diablo, Call of Duty, Candy Crush, Xbox, Bethesda, all that shit through this Xbox Game Hub, I think they're saying that they, they believe that could be enough content to draw eyes and make splashes and, and get attention. And then in addition to that, like I was kind of alluding to earlier, they can they can sweeten the pot. Like if you play your mobile games, if you play your Xbox, your Bethesda, your Blizzard, your Activision, King Games, whatever, uh, through through the Xbox app store instead of the iOS app store or the Android app store. Um, again, you're signing your Microsoft account, you get special in-game content, in-game rewards, abilities, features, all this stuff only for players who play through the Microsoft or Xbox app store. And so that I think is 100% going to be the route they take. I'm all for it because it's just one step closer to making my Android phone look and run like a Windows phone. So I'm like, hey, fucking bring it on, man. But um, yeah, all, all joking aside, um, I, I think that's clearly what's going on here. So they're kind of waiting on these two things to fall into place, assuming everything goes best case scenario, which is this act to be approved in May and then go into effect next March, as well as this acquisition of Activision Blizzard King to go through so that when they do launch sometime next year with this app store, uh, I assume ideally they want to get the Activision Blizzard deal done this year so that they can have all that stuff ready to go for next spring, the best case scenario, they probably have this shit ready to go next April at the latest. You know, this this introducing the Xbox App Store, the Xbox Marketplace. Download it now on on iOS and Android, and it's your secondary app store basically. You know, you got your if you're on iPhone, you got your app iOS app store. You can download all your fucking um, Uber apps and Waze and Twitter and all that stuff, and then you have your separate app just for Xbox, and that's where all your gaming needs live. And that's that's kind of Xbox's key. And we, you know, I know a lot of the majority of the people listening to this podcast are U.S. listeners, but we have listeners all over the world. And you know, any anyone who lives, especially in like an Eastern market, knows damn well that mobile is a huge market. It's a huge area of opportunity. It's it's part of why Xbox cares so much about cloud streaming. It's part of why Xbox cares so much about this inevitable future towards like. Xbox doesn't always have to be a $500 piece of hardware that you buy, you know? Maybe it can be a streaming stick. Maybe it can be built into your, your home TV. Maybe it can be uh, something you stream onto your phone or tablet because that stuff matters a lot more for those markets in, in China, in Russia, in, in Japan, in Korea. And so they're trying to they're trying to be there, be the best, be present, be a big dominating force in that space. So as we continue to inevitably move in that direction as technology advances, Xbox is there every step along the way saying, hey, we're here, we're the best, we're the de facto, like when you want to get into mobile gaming, 
Xbox pops up. When you want to try out cloud gaming, Xbox is the first choice everyone recommends you to. And they're going to do that by having great games, having great Game Pass library, having the best cloud streaming options, and having a great app ecosystem on every mobile device, whether you have Android or iOS. Uh, and this is just all part of that plan of making it all cohesive and come together. I think, like, it's actually a really good idea, I think. It's a, it's a really, on paper, I think this is really beneficial to Xbox's brand. I think this is going to be essential to making this plan work, although it doesn't guarantee success because I, I just feel like, you know, as someone who is a not only just an Xbox fan, but like a general Microsoft tech enthusiast, I love Surface, I love Windows Phone, I love all things Microsoft. I like Windows. I like Office. I'm just fucking weird like that. Uh, I've, I've given my life to this corporation in some form or fashion. If there's one thing we've seen Microsoft do time and time again. It's like we're working towards a new a new future, a new platform, a new ecosystem, a new way of interacting with blah, 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 blah. And then towards the end of development, you know, they got something really cool up and running and then pff, shit falls apart or doesn't come to fruition or the market doesn't take to it and they cancel it or something like that. So I don't think this plan is guaranteed to go off without a hitch. They're waiting on regulatory bodies uh, to approve Activision Blizzard's deal. They're waiting on regulatory bodies to uh, make put this act into effect and not get shut down. They're waiting on Microsoft to continue to support and in, 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 uh, promote this dream and vision. Uh, so there's a lot of ways this could go wrong. There's a lot of turning points where things could head in a new direction. But nonetheless, assuming everything goes according to plan, I think this is where Xbox wants to head. And I, I think it's a pretty good place to be because you think about all the other known quantities in gaming. Amazon, they're making way, they're, they're making moves in cloud gaming, but they don't have the foothold and the brand, the establishment that Xbox has, especially once they get Activision Blizzard King too. PlayStation, PlayStation just wants to play like it's always going to be just console gaming, traditional console gaming, and that's working fantastic for them right now now but down the road they don't they don't have the infrastructure and the in the the stuff built in that microsoft's that foundation microsoft's laying right now nintendo nintendo's nintendo they don't gotta do shit nintendo can just tell you a fucking buy mario and your goddamn toaster oven and you'll do it and they'll sell 40 million copies because they're nintendo and they got you nostalgic uh and and, and there's nothing you can do about it so nintendo don't nintendo don't gotta do shit is all I'm saying there. Uh, and then, you know, there's the PC market, and that's going to be the PC market. So I feel like active, Microsoft has to kind of be the one trying to juggle all the different elements and try to predict the future and try to be there and be ready for when we get to that inevitable cloud streaming future and trying to expand mobile into other markets, trying to expand Xbox into other markets where it's not already big. And I think they're making all the right moves. I think they're attacking all the right angles, but... There's just so many variables. It can go a million different ways. So I'm really excited to actually see how that continues to play out because that's uh, that's that's one, I guess, not so important thing or component or piece of the puzzle that for whatever reason, I'm actually very intrigued by and very interested in following up with. So that's our first of three stories. Our second one and our really only other kind of notable story before we get into a wrap up is uh, got two things going on with Arcane and Redfall. This past week, a lot, a lot of Redfall news coming out because this past week, Bethesda flew out a bunch of uh, YouTubers and influencers and such to come out to New York to play uh, Redfall, to to play a couple hours of the game. So you might be seeing lots and lots of takes on, hey, I played Redfall, here's what I think. Um, I'm trying to avoid a lot of it because I'm, you know, we're so close to launch and I'm very certain this is a game I'm, I'm going to enjoy and I want to play. So I'm just trying to go in blind at this point and just enjoy the game for what it is with my own experience. But I have, I have seen some takes and it seems like overwhelmingly people are like, hey, I'm really surprised by how, you know, a lot of my concerns about this game have been alleviated by playing it. This game's really good. Really good. It seems to be the consensus and also that it's really ideal for a single player despite being billed as kind of a multiplayer experience. So anyway, let's just get into it. So from VGC, 
Let's talk about the always online nature of the game. Redfall developer Arcane is looking into potentially removing the required solo players to always be online when connected uh, when playing the game. An FAQ on the game uh, that was published last month revealed that while players were able to play Redfall solo without Xbox Live Gold, they will need to do so always online. Under the question, will Redfall be able to require an online connection for single player as well as co-op? The FAQ states a persistent online connection is required for single player and co-op. Now the game's director, Henry Smith, has told Eurogamer, or sorry, Harvey Smith, has told Eurogamer that the team is looking into a solution to remove this requirement. Referring to the player's request to play offline, Smith said, quote, there are two ways to develop, that developers could react to this, right? They could say, oh my god, you're always online. If you get to Steam it's not, um, and it's not online, you freak out and you go, if you could get your Xbox and you can't get the latest patch and you see your friends doing that, you'd freak out. You always want to be online. But that response, I think, lacks empathy. There are people who live in places with outages and broadband. It might be shitty there. Or they're competing with family members because mom's streaming a, uh, a movie while brother's on another device. And I think it's a legitimate critique. He added, we do take that with a lot of empathy. We listen and we have already started to work on addressing this in the future. We have to do things like encrypt your saved games and do a bunch of UI work to support it. And we are looking into it. I'm not supposed to promise anything, but we're looking into it and working actively towards fixing it in the future. Smith then claimed that uh, the reason why the game is always online um, is to help Arcane analyze player behavior and tweak the game accordingly. All right, let's stop there because there's another part of this, uh, with Arcane and Redfall, but it's not related to this subject matter in particular. So I appreciate this candor, honestly, because I think it it really humanizes the situation. It's a developer landing out um, kind of the, the olive branch and saying like, hey, hey man, I, I'm a person who plays video games. I understand how people consume video games. I'm not ignorant to all of this. I, I get it. And you're right, but also here's the reason why we gotta do what we gotta do. I don't think the reason, you know, at least here as it's stated, seems particularly compelling. But then again, I don't develop games, and I don't know how beneficial this is for them to have it always be online. The way I read this is, listen, on a, what what Smith is saying. Uh, the way I read this is, Smith is essentially saying, listen. If it's up to me, we'll figure out a way to make this play offline, so you don't always have to be online. If you're playing single player, etc., etc., etc. Although. I can't promise shit because I'm not the boss. I'm not Xbox. I'm not Bethesda. I don't get a say in this. Um, so, you know, we're listening. We have hopes and things we'd like to do. Right now, we're in the final moments of getting this game out the door. Uh, maybe down the road, this is an update we can do to make it not always require an online connection to play. That's kind of how I read this. It doesn't seem like something they're going to be able to just make happen, promise you day one in, in, in two months here when the game comes out. Less than two months, really. The game comes out, what, May 2nd? So, like... You know, like a month and a half or whatever. Um, so I, I read this as good news. It's like, hey, we're listening. Hey, we understand. We're going to try to do something about it, but no promises. That's kind of what this says to me. And I think that's really kind of all you can uh, all you can really expect. Uh, listen, man, obviously the move to this play online, always online thing, is concerning to a lot of people. And I get that. And I, I also want to be empathetic to it. But at the same time, it's like I kind of side with the developers that have this attitude of like, dude, so what? You'd freak out if you turn on your Xbox and you weren't online because I don't know. That's me, dude. If I there, you know, I have Spectrum Internet. Spectrum Internet sucks. There are some days where Spectrum just decides, fuck you. We're going out for the next uh, 24 hours. And uh, oh, yeah, we're not even going to warn you about it or apologize for it or credit you for it or anything. You're just going to have to fucking deal with it and then pay us full price for Internet. That happens sometimes living here in Florida where Spectrum has a monopoly on the fucking market. I like I, I know the feeling of like turning on my Xbox and be like, what the fuck? I'm not online. What the fuck? I can't do anything. What the fuck? This box is useless to me right now. And you know what? Usually when that happens, 
I don't play Xbox. I just if I'm not connected to the internet, I'm just not playing. So I'm kind of a little uh, a little sympathetic to the to the developers because that's true. It's like you're not using your console if you're not online. You're not playing Steam if you're not online. You're not using your PC if you're not online. You have to be online anyway. Why does it fucking matter? And then I you know yes, the thing about people who live in places with shitty internet. But also, the, the one I'm most sympathetic to is the one about game preservation. We're like, well, what if the game goes offline? You won't be able to play. It's like, okay, yeah, that one. I'm a little more sympathetic to that one because I am a huge advocate of game preservation. And I think we are running into a situation with this where, you know, it's one of the things I love about Xbox is they're kind of naturally the best at game preservation because they've always been about backwards compatibility or for a long time they've seemed to mostly be about it and their controllers remain consistently the same and their ecosystem and platforms remain uh, cohesive and coherent to where it's always just seemed like your next Xbox is a continuation of of your leg of your, of your profile and your legacy on the platform and not just a and not just a fresh new brand new clean slate like when you get a Nintendo platform it's like fuck everything you ever did and every penny you ever spent here's a new console and you're starting from scratch might as well make a brand new Nintendo account while you're at it so I I, I like that about Xbox and I think you know, it would be good showmanship, uh, especially for them in their first party lineup as the platform known as the most backwards compatibility, game preservation friendly, you know, free FPS boost, Xbox Series X enhanced, no additional cost required kind of brand that Xbox has built. I think it does them well to go above and beyond to make sure this game can be played offline. So I think I think they got to do right by the player and figure this out even if it does come after launch if it's like a like a 1.2 update or something like that. But yeah, I I, I just generally I just I, I I appreciate the vibe of this quote and just the story kind of kind of humanizing and lending a hand and connecting that bridge between how the player feels, how the developer feels and the reality of the situation. No promises, but it looks like they're going to try to make this work is what it says to me uh, the other part to this uh, story about arcane and redfall although it's different different note same game different different idea uh, while perhaps unsurprising arcane austin studio director harvey smith has now confirmed that plans for a playstation version of the game were canceled after microsoft acquired bethesda and zenimax media quote we were acquired by microsoft and it was a change with a capital c he told IGN in France. They came in and said, no PlayStation 5, we're focusing on Xbox, PC, and Game Pass. End quote. Development of Redfall has started, or had started, about a year prior to the $7.5 billion acquisition. Quote, it's not very serious. It's even a good decision, I think, Smith uh, said of dropping the PS5 version. It helps to support Game Pass and have one less platform to worry about, one less complexity. He added, Game Pass also has a ton of players and could be our biggest game thanks to 30 million players where I can't remember the exact number of subscribers. All right, I want to get in front of this one real quick because this isn't some like team green fuck PlayStation thing to say. I understand it might sound that way on first drop, but... Think, think about it, think about it. They're not saying it's a good thing that PlayStation players don't get the game because obviously that does suck. PlayStation players have access to one less game. You know, we want to make games as accessible to everyone as humanly possible. So I'm not sitting here going, I'm so glad Redfall isn't available to PlayStation players. I'm so glad the Xbox bought Bethesda and now PlayStation fans can't enjoy this game. That's not what I'm saying. I'm never going to be on that team. I don't care. But what he's saying is, and this is something you got to consider, there's like this catch-22 situation for developers, where as a developer, you want your game to be on every platform possible because the more platforms you are on, the more money your game can make and the more that can sustain you as a team and get you, you know, keep your job security and get you to the next project and keep you going in your career. So obviously, that's the tack that most developers take and have taken throughout time. However, if you're a first-party dev, in this situation, 
the situation, you know, it's a little different where, especially Arcane, Arcane, it has to be said, it's extra unique because Arcane's always been one of those developers where critically their games always do well. Everyone loves Dishonored. Everyone loves Deathloop. Everyone loves everything that Arcane does. Prey got really good reviews, but the thing is every Arcane game does dog shit in sales. They don't do well. They don't perform well commercially. And so for Arcane, this is especially exciting because, well, one, it doesn't matter that you don't get the game on PS5 in, in terms of reaching more players because you don't have to worry about, you know, trying to sustain and survive when, when you're part of Xbox. You got Papa Phil's money, you know? Although I'm sure on a personal level, you want more players to be able to access your game. However, the thing is when, when you're arcane and you have this history of making games that everyone loves, game of the year contenders, what a great game, but nobody buys them. You got to be excited about the prospect of being on Team Xbox and having a day and date Game Pass title because now you're like, hey, people are going to finally play our fucking game because people just try shit for being on, on, on Game Pass. They they just want to give it a go. They want to see what the new game, what all the fuss is about. So it's exciting because it's like now it's one less platform we have to concern ourselves with because, you know, trying to develop your game simultaneously for three or four platforms is a lot of work. Taking one of those big platforms out of the equation makes it easier for you to focus on just nailing it on PC and Xbox. And in addition to that, it's a Game Pass game, so you know you're going to expose yourself to like 25, 30 million subscribers, which is going to get a lot more eyes on your game and potentially get way more people to play your game than ever played Dishonored 1 or Dishonored 2 or Prey or any of that stuff because those games, while they all came to Game Pass eventually, those games launched at a time where Game Pass wasn't around or where... Xbox didn't own the team, so they, their games didn't go immediately to Game Pass, but now they're going to have that added splash of like, boom, review scores, high review scores, critical darling, people say it's really good, also it's in Game Pass, also you have Game Pass, so it doesn't cost you anything, just give it a try and see you know, see what you think, and, and that will help grow the game, so I think that's really all they really mean to get at, but interesting note nonetheless, I think there's some... some can, not concerned. There are some speculation, some talk on this. Is 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 Redfall part of a time before Xbox? I think that's kind of obvious. That the game was already in development a little bit by the time Xbox came around. So whatever whatever Arcane does next is probably gonna be the first like top to bottom Xbox owned developed from start in, uh, game from Arcane. But this game was mostly predominantly developed under the ownership of xbox although i don't think that will have a big a big influence on how the game turns out to be honest if anything they might just be able to optimize better and make the game a little more polished by having one less skew to focus on but that's about it um same thing with starfield starfield was so well under development before before microsoft bought bethesda but nonetheless i thought those quotes were really candid really interesting and just a nice kind of transparent look between that developer consumer relationship that we don't we don't get enough of to be honest so all right, our last story of the week is just a wrap-up story. It's uh, about it's from Xbox Wire. It's new games coming to Game Pass. So available now, available today. We already talked about it, but Nino Kuni 2, Revenant Kingdom, as well as on, on Friday, we got um, Resident Evil 4 Remake. But aside from that, coming soon, we got MLB The Show 23 coming to Cloud Console on March 28th. And it's a day one Game Pass title, as the past few years of MLB The Show have been. In addition to that, we got Infinity Guitars on Cloud Console and PC on March 30th. It's a game day one Game Pass game as well. This game looks really cool, but it also looks kind of like Hi-Fi Rush and kind of like no, what is it called? No, no, no Road Turned or whatever. What's that game called? What's like one of those like hack and slash action rhythm music games. I'm just like, okay, we're getting a lot of this all of a sudden. So I don't know, man. All of a sudden, I'm just like, this genre is getting crowded, although the game looks cool as hell. In addition to that, we got a handful of games leaving Game Pass at the end of the month on the 31st. So the following games, make sure you play them or buy them now before they're gone. A Memoir Blue, Chinatown Detective Agency, Cluster Truck, 
Double Dragon Neon, Kraken Academy, MLB The Show 22, because 23 is going to replace it, and Power Rangers Battle for the Grid. So all those games are leaving Game Pass at the end of the month. And guys, that's going to do it for all our main news this week. Now we move into the important enough news. Stories important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to warrant their own discussions, which we got. We got about a, a 10 or so here. Oh, my God. Maybe I should have spread this out a little better. But anyway, we'll blast through them because nothing's super exciting here. But all coming from VGC, we got Academy Award winning nominated screenwriter John Spites, Spates has signed a deal with Netflix for the Gears of War live action movie. Most recently, he's worked on Oscar nominated best adaptations uh, screenplay for Dune and co-wrote that he co-wrote with director Dennis Villeneuve and Eric Roth. He's also co-wrote the upcoming sequel for the movie and previously credits has been credited for Prometheus, Doctor Strange, Passengers, and The Mummy. Next up, Focus Entertainment has announced the release date for the upcoming Aliens tie-in game. Aliens Dark Descent will be released on June 20th for Xbox One and series consoles as well as PC. It's being developed by French studio Tindalos Interactive. Tindalos, Tindalos, Tindalos Interactive. Uh, previously worked on Battlefleet Gothic Armada 2. The game is described as a strategy RTS squad-based tactical action game, which is all the words, and has players controlling a squad of colonial marines to stop a xenomorph outbreak. Uh, new trailers out if you want to look at that. Also, VGC reports DICE have announced plans to, this one makes me sad, plans to delist several Battlefield games, saying, quote, as we close in on 15 years since the release of Battlefield 1943 and Battlefield Bad Company 1 and 2, we are announcing the journey's coming to an end, EA wrote in a blog post on Tuesday. The games will be removed from digital storefronts on April 28th, and online services for the titles will be closed on December 8th. So you have just a few months left or about a month left to buy the games and about until the end of the year to play the games. While Battlefield 1943 is an online only game, the other three titles will remain playable using offline features such as single player. I got to stop for a second. This one makes me so sad. Um, it, it sucks because like these games all came out around the years of like the old Call of Duty Modern Warfare and World at War days and those games are still online. You can go play those games still. So why is Battlefield, the nearest competitor, shutting their game? Like, fucking sucks, dude. I don't know if you guys ever played 1943. It was the Xbox Live Arcade. It was $20 Xbox Live Arcade game that came out in, I want to say 2008, 2009. And it's multiplayer only. Online multiplayer only. No campaign. Only a couple maps. Dude, I, I, I say this with no sarcasm i mean this so genuinely battlefield 1943 still to this day is my favorite multiplayer experience in any battlefield i absolutely adore 1943 in fact in the past year i think it was about a year ago i actually booted it up on my xbox series x just to take a trip down memory lane and see if the servers were still had people playing it. i mean you know the, it's not full games all the time but people still fucking play this game you can still pretty easily get into matches so that sucks that they're getting rid of it that they're because when this game goes offline on december 8th this game will be worthless absolutely worthless because it was just online there's no single player component to this game that sucks speaking of game preservations this is why you don't want your games always online <laughs> although this was a multiplayer only game so that just that fucking sucks ea's always been bad about you know, shutting off their, their online servers after 10, 15 years. It's, they're kind of the worst at it, and it really sucks at a time where, you know, the only other modern Battlefield offering is like 2042, which is apparently not very good, although when I played it, 
it wasn't bad. It just was kind of unremarkable in a lot of ways. I don't know. It was fine. It wasn't bad. Uh, the other the other two games, Battlefield Bad Company 1 and 2, this also hurts because although these games have single-player campaigns and have offline multiplayer, and so you will be able to play these games Um you know, obviously, it's Battlefield. It's like Call of Duty. It lives and dies by its multiplayer more than anything. The, these three are... are <laughs> maybe it's just because of the time, but these three are actually my three favorite Battlefield games of all time. No disrespect. I like Battlefield 3 a lot. Um, I like Battlefield 1942 on PC a lot. Uh, I like Battlefield 1 a lot. I think 2042 is not as bad as people say, although I'm not crazy about it. But, dude, this, this one hurts because... Bad Company 1 is my other favorite Battlefield game. Bad Company 1 has by far my my favorite campaign in a Battlefield game. The squad is so charming, so lovable, so so memorable. Such a fun campaign, such fun writing, such a great, great uh, direction for the Battlefield series to have headed. I really, really love Bad Company 1. I know people like Bad Company 2 a lot more. And Bad Company 2 is really great. It's multiplayer is phenomenal. But I actually think Bad Company 1 is the better game because it's a little more lighthearted. It's a little more goofy. It's a little more uh, not so self-serious. Whereas Bad Company 2 tried to have its cake and eat it too where it was like it tried to be gritty and real and hard like Call of Duty while also kind of being funny and goofy. And it just didn't do the goofy, fun, lighthearted stuff as well, I thought. So I, I'm more of a Bad Company 1 guy, but I absolutely love Bad Company 2 as well. So between these three, 1943... Bad Company 1 and Bad Company 2. I'm crestfallen. I'm so sad that all three of these games will be going on offline on December 8th and uh, unavailable for purchase after December or after April 28th, so just about a month here. So, guys, if you're a Battlefield fan, if you're just someone who likes exploring old games and just kind of experiencing some of the greats and, and just having some things like this on your hard drive, listen, if you're a military FPS fan, these games are essential i would say like like these are the games where back in the day i was like dude maybe battlefield is better than call of duty or maybe battlefield is just as good as call of duty and no it's it's not true because battlefield fucks it up more often than not but whew, it makes me it, it not not angry i'm actually not angry i'm, I'm like i'm like sad I'm, I'm heartbroken over this this is these games are very nostalgic and very comforting for me so losing these actually yeah this 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 one hurts a little bit i'm gonna go ahead and make sure that i have Bad Company 1 and 2 both purchased digitally as well uh, because I know I have them physically, but I just want to make sure I have all my bases covered and have ways of preserving and being able to access the campaigns on these games because I really, really love the Bad Company games. And, dude, 1943, the best Battlefield multiplayer experience. I mark my words. All right, next up, speaking of things I love, VGC reports the first major DLC update for Sonic Frontiers is coming this week. The game's roadmap uh, will include a photo. Uh, stated that this first update will include a photo mode, a jukebox, and new challenge modes, and fits uh, the themes with the names, sights, sounds, and speed as the title. Uh, jukebox sounds cool. All right, next up. Speaking of other things, I love, but I don't love this game. I just love Disney. Disney Speedstorm's early access release date's been announced. Woo! The Kart Racer, which I found underwhelming as hell when I played it on Steam uh, last year. The Kart Racer will launch on April 18th with three separate premium versions. Each will have different additional content. The game is planned to release as a free-to-play title at a later date. Announced last February, the game is scheduled to release in 2022 before it was delayed to this year, and it features combat racing with Disney and Pixar heroes and villains across racetracks inspired by the films they appear in. All right. Our last four stories of mild, whatever this is, uh, stories important enough to make the news and on, whatever, um, all are about the same thing. It is new studios that were formed and announced this week. So we got four of these announcements. So we're just going to 
We're just going to rattle them off. First one, three former Blizzard leads have formed a new AAA studio called Magic Soup Games. Jen O'Neill, J. Allen Brack, and John Donham, each senior roles at Blizzard, among other studios, have come together to make this studio. You may recognize these names, especially Jen O'Neill and Alan J., or J. Allen Brack um, from <laughs> a lot of the controversy going on with Blizzard from back in 2021. But um, no, in a statement, uh, on the trio said that the team will see drawing on decades of experience in building original AAA games, genuinely uplifting and inclusive for players around the world, et cetera, et cetera. They all had different quotes and talked about their experience with franchises like Warcraft, Tony Hawk, EverQuest, Diablo, Skylanders, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, this is uh, we knew Brack left Blizzard back in 2021, but now we know what he's going on to do. And yeah, he was under fire for some of the uh, how he handled the sexual harassment discrimination stuff for Activision Blizzard back in 2021. So a little controversy with that, but nonetheless, they're just announcing their new studio. Be like, hey, we're hiring, basically, which is always the common theme with these kinds of announcements. The second of four is uh, Sega Europe developer Creative Assembly has opened a third development uh, team. You may know them for their work on the Halo Wars series, as well as uh, games like Total War and stuff like that. Uh, not Total War, uh, not End War. What, what game is it? Oh, no, it is Total War. It is Total War. Okay, I overthought it. But anyway... They have a new third team that's going to be a new team, Creative Assembly North, that is based in Newcastle, UK, joining their other headquarters in Sussex, uh, as well as the Sofia location in Bulgaria. Um, the new team will work alongside the Sussex team on a yet-to-be-announced project, and Creative Assembly says that it will give players an unforgettable experience. Remember, these guys are currently working on that Hyenas multiplayer shooter game. Next up, uh, we got another new AAA team, called Fuse Games. It's a new UK studio led by former EA VP and Criterion Games General Manager Matt Webster. The team says it's already started up with a brand new premium AAA title and PC and console and is... Uh, and says that Fuse's uncompromising attention to game feel with blockbuster spectacle and player-centric innovations and social gameplay, blah, 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 creativity. Um, important to note, yeah, there's a lot of people who worked on like Need for Speed and stuff like that. Um, he actually left, Webster left pretty recently after Need for Speed Unbound to go do this team. Really important to notice, note with this one, um, what makes this one so special is that their location in the UK and being a racing team and with all the stories we've had recently about talent leaving playground games the forza horizon developer Ooh, i feel like a lot of those guys are going to end up here so just something to kind of put away in the back of your mind i guess and then the last one the last new studio we have formed in the last story of the week before getting to the comments respawn entertainment the guys behind titanfall and apex legends have opened a third team to work on apex legends based in madison wisconsin the studio is being led by Ryan Burnett, who was formerly a director of engine production at Epic Games and also spent 14 years on Call of Duty developer Raven Software. Burnett told GamesIndustry.biz that the Wisconsin studio will work hard hand-in-hand -hand with Respawn's Los Angeles and Vancouver branches to help deliver new seasons of Battle Royale content every 90 days. So their support team on um, Apex Legends content, it looks like. But, man, it's just so sad when uh, you just canceled your mobile game and laid off all these QA testers and canceled your single-player Titanfall style game and now you're opening a new team it's like huh all those people lost those jobs for nothing what's that about ea but uh other than that yeah maybe wisconsin's cheaper than la and that's why we're doing this but uh interesting it's cool to see wisconsin get some representation in the game dev scene especially on something as prominent as apex legends but yeah that's it for all these new teams that formed and announced their existence this week with that out of the way we take a deep breath 
we move into the comments. The shout-outs, the questions, over from YouTube.com. You know how it goes. You go over to YouTube.com slash Xbox on Podcast, at Xbox on Podcast, however you find it. You click on the latest episode of the podcast, and you drop a comment. You don't be cute and funny and go to an episode from... 37 weeks ago and say I'm so, I'm so cute I'm so tongue in cheek episode 164 oh look at me I'm leaving I'm, le- I'm leaving a comment on this old episode no it's not how that works Tim R just did that Did it, he did exactly that he just had to be cute he went all the way back to episode 27 that's 27 for those of us who speak English and said couldn't resist keep kicking ass being all cute being all cute because I warned him I dared him I said don't do it he did it he's a badass and now we have to respect him we have to cower in fear, probably, because he probably has weapons of mass destruction or very strong arms, to say the very least. But, Tim, cute. Don't let it happen again. But anyway, to all of you guys, if you want to leave a comment, click on the latest episode of the podcast, drop a comment, thumbs up while you're there, maybe subscribe. We're at 113 subscribers, so thank you so much for all your support, you guys, on YouTube and uh, and everywhere else. You know, iTunes reviews, five stars only. UK reviewers, please don't leave reviews because you guys are the meanest to me. Uh, maybe because I'm the meanest to you. But anyway... We have seven entries this week. You can say anything you want. You can be mean or nice, but we have seven entries, and I think everyone was pretty civil for the most part. So while we do sometimes get some nonsensical comments, I think we'll start off with some civility this week. Beginning with Wes H., who writes in and says, I hope Xbox still cares about E3. We're talking about E3 here for the next couple of comments. I don't really have respect for the games industry that purposely feel, or for gaming industries that purposely feel like they don't have to be a part of the stuff like that. It feels conceited, like they're seeking attention. Go be part of something fun and exciting and like-minded people, with like-minded people. Sounds way more fun. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I think, I mean, like I said last week, I think there's some benefit to doing it your own way. Nintendo, you know, PlayStation, they like, it's tantalizing to be able to control your messaging. I think a lot of other companies have taken note of that and have wanted a similar thing where they can just kind of control the messaging, what they want to say, when they want to say it sort of thing. But, um, I agree. There is something fun about like, Hey, this is an event for all of us. You know, like we're all supposed to be here. We're all supposed to have that camaraderie and that kind of like that showmanship. And we're all supposed to come together. And I agree. E3 feels special. You know, when when you have classic E3 before the pandemic, there's something so special about this, like this confident, hey, I know for the next four days of my life, it's just going to be boom, 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 boom. All the big players having all the big news. And it's so fun to sit around, order a pizza, sit up, hang out with your buddies or, or, you know, pull up Twitter and get ready to see what everyone has to say and sit back and watch a, a Ubisoft or a Microsoft or a venus soft or square soft or even a playstation uh press conference and just kind of like react to all the cool fun shit going on and when everyone decides to splinter off and do their own thing and be too cool for school it does kind of break up that fun and that kind of that that comforting and fun and, and eventful experience that e3 has traditionally been and i think i think we are losing something in that so i i get it and um i get why there's a desire for xbox to continue to kind of play nice and be a part of it well, at the same time, it's like just too much has changed too recently. It's just hard not to do it this other way, I feel like. So it's kind of like a rock and a hard place a little bit. Um, Sam Torres also wrote in about it and said, I like your take on Microsoft Xbox being at, uh, independent from E3 2023. We're at the 10-year anniversary of the Xbox One reveal, uh, which took place, yeah. That was, that was May of 2023, and then in June... The following month, they had their E3 press conference. May was all about the console, and then June was all about the games. Uh, but yeah, we are about 10 years. We are all dying. Yeah, 10 years ago, the anniversary of the Xbox One reveal slash Don Matrick 
thunk so hard event E3 2013. I still think that was the beginning of the underdog complex that we have had to live through and love uh, Xbox for. I want to I want them to never shy away from being at E3. Hell, a company that leads the industry as uh, has to be present at the event that sums up the whole reason for their existing. For uh, for unlawful car. For unlawful carnal knowledge sake. Always love your comments, Sam. Yeah, this is um this is a good point actually that uh there th- yeah, there's just something about it where it's just like it- it's funny how Microsoft is always by far the least underdog company that is involved in gaming. They are objectively the least likely or the the least like a under an underdog because they are freaking Microsoft, you know? But when you remove that aspect and you just look at the Xbox brand compared to everyone else in the industry, yeah, there is something about Xbox where they just it feels like the underdog because, you know, by the time they came in in like 2001, uh PlayStation was already pretty well established, Nintendo was definitely well established, and, and Sega was bowing out. So it's just like, can Xbox can Microsoft really make a name for themselves in this space? We'll see. I don't know about that. And then after the 360 years, you know, they established themselves so well and made themselves such a force to be reckoned with. So it, it, it felt like, okay, they're a mainstay. They're permanent. But then with the Xbox One generation, they go right back into this kind of like, ooh, I, I just, Xbox, it's like, it's cool that they try. I appreciate them being there. But they're, they're no Nintendo. They're no PlayStation. That's kind of like where we go right back to. And you're right. I think ever since that Xbox One reveal about 10 years ago in 2013, Xbox has had this kind of underdog mentality. It's, you know, for a lot of people, for a lot of, like, general, normal people, when you talk about video games with, like, a co-worker that maybe has a PlayStation and they play a Call of Duty game or a couple games here or there, maybe they'll play one of the, the Batman games or the football games or something like that, but they're not, like, in the know following video game news all day in and out. Um, you know, you talk to someone like that, and it's just like, why do you why why do you play Xbox, dude? Why didn't you get a PS5, dude? Got a war, bro. Got a war. Got a war. Uh, it's like you know that's kind of the response from most people, and you know, understandably so to some extent. But I think for a lot of us, we've we've grown used to this kind of uh, kind of on your back foot attitude about like, oh God, someone wants to talk to me about video games now, and I'm and I'm obligated now in this social situation to defend why the fuck I have an Xbox instead of a, a, a gaming PC or a PS5 or whatever the hell the other options are. Um, because, yeah, just for everyone, it's just, why do you have Xbox? It's like, eh, PlayStation's better. It's like, okay, well, I just like really powerful games. Why don't you get a PC? It's like, dude, can I just like Xbox? Is that okay? Can I just like, for a second, can I like Xbox? Can I just, you know, not have to justify why I, why I bleed green? Okay. Uh, but, yeah, I, 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 I don't know, man. There, there is something special about Xbox and their relationship to E3 because at a time where Nintendo was bowing out of it, where Sega, I almost said, Sony was starting to bow out of E3, Microsoft was just continuing to put on like the best shows they've ever put on. They're so good at the showmanship of E3 and E3 is kind of like where they've had their highest highs and lowest lows and it's just, it's such an intrinsic part of the Xbox brand and history that it is, it's kind of something you want to see, although it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. Xbox is going to continue to do Xbox uh, showcases around E3, the week of E3, so the timing won't be any different. I just don't think they'll be officially part of E3. You won't see the E3 branding, although the event will be that same same time it otherwise would have been. Alright, let's talk about the McDonald's app for a second. Natural uh, progression from E3, a natural segue. Mr. Mag wrote in and says, I was ready to poo-poo the McDonald's app for not working for me for months, but magically after hearing you talk about it, 
the app let me sign in. I lost all my points, though. Mr. Malg, you didn't lose your points. You never had points to begin with, man. You got to start from scratch. When you forget your password, when you don't log into the app for months on end, you deserve to lose your points. You never earn those points. Points are for people who consistently use the McDonald's app. I need you to be better. I need you to be a bigger McDonald's fan. I need you to be a more heavy user of the McDonald's app. I'm not suggesting that you put yourself at a health risk by eating more McDonald's than what's what's acceptable, but I'm just saying if you're not going to use the McDonald's app on a consistent basis... Why should it do anything for you? Have you ever asked yourself that, Mr. Mag? It's about doing a live podcast. Cody Pavon writes in. Pavon. Pavon. I've been so insecure about saying your name ever since you told me I got it right. Uh, anyway, Cody writes in and says, Hey, Jesse, random question for you. Have you ever thought about doing a live podcast? Live interactions are always a good time. Hope you're having a good week. Well, Cody, it's funny you asked this. Um, I have thought about doing a live podcast, and I think my response is no. I don't want to do it. And I don't mean to be so like definitive and, and, and like cold about it, but... Uh, I mean, dude, for over a year, I was streaming on Twitch every Monday without fail, Monday evenings, um, and that taught me everything I need to know about why I should not do live podcasts. Here's the thing is, you guys, maybe you, maybe you notice it a little bit, but Xbox On is heavily edited. Like, I, I, I cut out about 20 to 30 minutes of every podcast every week. After, as soon as I'm done recording this, I will be up for another hour and a half, two hours going through, looking for dead space, tweaking things, fixing things, trying to take out some of the F-bombs because I, I, I curse way too much. I'm just trying to like take out ums and ahs and pauses and, and weird gross sounds that wouldn't be pleasant to hear in your headphones. I'm sure you've all come across some things I've definitely missed editing out. I know I've missed things. Uh, you've, I'm sure there are a handful of episodes where you hear me stop and go, scratch that, because <laughs> it's a note I tell myself for editing to remember to, you know, edit this but the thing is it's i don't want to do a live podcast because i i like i feel more comfortable just doing this off the cuff alone off the air kind of thing where i can just say whatever i need to say and then feel like i can go back and edit if i need to whereas you know when i was streaming on twitch i felt so scatterbrained trying to play a game and interact with a chat at the same time and i like twitch and i and we still do twitch every now and then i need to get back to it we did it a couple weeks ago it was fun but uh it's just Oh man, I, I don't. My brain's not built for it, man. If I'm just being completely honest, it's trying to keep up with a conversation while also doing the, um, yeah. And I, I think it would probably be easier if I did it in podcast form because most of the comments and the write-ins would be pertaining to the news as we're doing the news, which is different from like I'm trying to grind my camos in Call of Duty while someone asks me what I think about um, the, the 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 latest episode of Bluey now streaming on Disney Plus. It's like that's it's different, right? So I don't know, man. I, I I have thought about it, but if I'm gonna do anything different with the podcast format, I, I I'd much rather have a setup where it's like every week we have a different member from the audience join me on the podcast. You know, it's like this week Cody's on the podcast to shoot the shit with me and talk about the news with me, and then next week John Stamos is on the podcast with me, and then after that, uh, you know, freaking Sam Torres is on the podcast, and you know, Mister Malg is on the podcast. I, I'd rather do something like that where we do like a a rotation where like if if people who listen to the show are interested they can come be on the show and because I, I do believe the thing that makes you know the special sauce for xbox on aside from me just being an absolute schizophrenic human being uh, i think is the audience interaction because again i may i, I make mention of it all the time 
you know, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not an industry insider. I don't have like sources and cool stuff like that. And I, I don't work in the industry. I don't work for like a games outlet or, or game developer or anything like that. So my, you have to have your angle. You have to have your catch to justify why you do what you do. And for me with Xbox on it's, it's the audience participation. So I, I try to lean into that because I think that's what makes the show fun is people writing in on one hand being like, yeah, Jesse, here's what I think about what you said about fallout. And I, I agree with this and I disagree with that. And what are your thoughts on this? And it's like, okay, we're talking about games. And then the next comment will be like, uh, Jesse, I, I'm thinking about buying a car. And also what do you think about the Taco Bell grande taco? And then it's like, what the fuck are we like? It, it, it is stupid. It's schizophrenic. And it's crazy, but it's like, listen, man, there's like a hundred Xbox podcasts out there for, for if you want to just hear from like really in the know buttoned up people who like, have experience but this is the xbox podcast where it's like yeah maybe maybe you're not going to get like some inside scoop that like some video game outlet's going to have to like cover because i have some really compelling news but you know you can get my input you can get my feedback we're going to talk about xbox but the idea is for it to feel like a social environment where it's like people that just love xbox are coming together to just chat about what's going on here's our takes here's our opinions here's our thoughts and so i'm all for taking that to the next level and trying to more consistently have it to where like, hey, if you want to come on the show, let's have someone on the show. But in terms of doing a live show, I just feel like it would completely, I feel like it would completely break my ability to keep like a, a, a stream and a focus on the actual news at hand. And so no, I just, it also just makes things a little messier for editing purposes. So I, I would prefer to continue to do it the way I do it, but I am open to trying other things. Um, Fun question, good question, and I appreciate you writing in. Cody, hope you have a great week, and please, if you don't use deodorant, that's fine, but just don't, don't, listen, Cody, you're not putting on deodorant, you're going out in public, and then people don't want to stand too close to you. Don't wonder why, is all I'm saying. It's your life, you do what you want, it's your body, and deodorant's not really good for you health-wise, so it's fine, but don't wonder why is all I'm saying, Cody, okay? All right, all right, we got a couple more comments. Uh, A big one from Mr. Hunter F. You guys know Hunter, he's a... I, th- I think the episode I did with Hunter back around the holidays, around the end of 2022, I think might be the the second or third most listened to, most downloaded episode of the podcast ever. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it was a good timing, but you guys must really like Hunter. Listen, he's, he's got a big wiener. That's probably what it is. All right. He So, he broke his comment down to two parts. We'll start with part one. Seems logical. Just a couple thoughts I have about last week's show. One, I understand the live service model for Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League. I understand it's for cosmetics only. However, I don't care if it's just for cosmetics and that doesn't affect gameplay. It's still going to be viewed as an incomplete game in my eyes due to the fact that it's presentation of just being a live service game. I think there's a large market of gamers that feel like I do. A live service game is a complete turnoff and will avoid it until a discount, uh, until it's discount barrel pricing or entirely. Uh, a live game is a consistent reminder that of a game that you're playing that is meant to be played indefinitely. And I'm seeing and seeing that I need to get 4,000 kills to get a super bazongas nude skin for Harley Quinn uh, makes the game feel and look cheap like a mobile game. Um, okay, we'll stop there because that's part one. I think that is 100% valid and I totally understand where people are coming from. I think for me, the reason why it doesn't bother me as much as just because I like to get like just really weird about a game and just be like, Oh cool. Oh man. Oh, look at all these unlocks. Look at all these things you can do. And like when I get into a game, I like to think about it as like, maybe this is the only game I play now. Like when I'm enjoying call of duty, I'm like, maybe I'll just stop playing games and stop podcasting and, Call of Duty will be like my my thing. I'll just play Call of Duty. Look at all these skins and challenges, knowing full well like I'll probably get gold camo on one gun and then never play the game again. Um, I like to do it with whatever game I'm playing. Like right now, I'm playing 
Guilty Gear. I'm like, you know what I'll do is I'll probably just quit Xbox on, delete my YouTube channel, and go, like, pro on Guilty Gear. I'll probably just become, like, the greatest player in the world. And I just like to get, like, weirdly obsessive when I'm in the moment. So there's something that clicks for me with these live service games where I'm just like, I know damn well I'm not going to grind the game and I'm not going to get all the skins and unlocks. But, like, if I if I enjoy the moment-to-moment gameplay, I'll convince myself while I'm playing the game that I'm like, yeah, I love Suicide Squad. This is probably the only game I'll ever play for the rest of my life, and I'll probably get all the skins and master all the characters and get all the achievements, and, and they'll probably have to make a fucking statue of me and put it outside the WB Games headquarters or some shit like that. And so, to me, like, it just scratches this weird part of my brain that helps me just lie to myself so I can feel immersed in the experience while I'm having it. Um... But I, I completely understand because especially considering the team that made this game, you know that they made really high quality games that have a timeless quality to it, regardless of, you know, Cronky's going to have a controversial comment to say about about this, uh, about these games in a minute here. But regardless of what you have to say about Rocksteady, it, there's no doubt that the games they put out, that Arkham Trilogy, they have a timeless and... Um, they have a timeless feel to them that's like, this is a complete package. You know, you can go, I can go back and play Arkham Asylum now. That is, what is it, 14 years old now? And it will still feel like a complete, tight, com- awesome game, you know? Because it it, wa- it was a, a singular vision, p- fully realized product. Whereas a game like Suicide Squad feels like it's this like constantly evolving, like when's the best time to play it? When's the time you're supposed to play it? And then if I play it, like how do I know I played it right? Just because I played through the story content doesn't mean I played it right because the game's asking me to go back and do skins and play other characters. And it just, it feels like it, the mobile thing. You're right. It does make it feel kind of cheap and kind of mobile-like. You just have to, you know, decide are you the kind of person who can live with that or not? And I understand completely and respect for a lot of people why you can't work with that because, you know, it's like, Imagine if you watched a movie and it's like, well, you, yeah, you, you watched the movie, but you didn't really like do all the stuff that the movie has to do. Like, did you did you watch it backwards? Did you do all the bonus features? Did you know you could put in sepia tone and watch it there? You know, like that, like that. Did you know you know if you buffered on a really shitty internet through Netflix, you actually get a totally different viewing experience than watching it on 4K? It's like, okay, I don't need my movie to try to bully me into doing a million other things. Like, I just I just want to sit down for two hours and watch the damn movie. So I I get it. The fact that we have reached a place where games that are about narrative and just one story and one experience are trying to find ways to overextend its life and, and, and overstay its welcome. Um, it's it's annoying. It's irritating. And it does water down and cheapen the experience. So I, I get it, man. But I still think the game looks like a ton of fun and I'm still going to give it a go because despite those things, I, 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 you know, with how many games of this type I've played, I just know that more often than not, they're pretty fun games that just get a bad rep. Um, but not all the hate is completely unwarranted and unjustified. So your number two point, you said you bring up a very good point about Xbox needing to, uh, let their franchises go. Eventually. I love gears of war. Halo is a centerpiece, but because of their own reliance uh, on the crown jewels, Xbox feels like a console stuck in 2007. You can refine the gameplay all you want. You can update the graphics, the latest tech, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but there's no changing that Sony has the image of consistent evolution and Microsoft does not. Sony has honestly been much better at maturing with gamers into the uh, into the mind into the mindset that video games are art and deserve the respect that movies, TVs, books have. Xbox, on the other hand, seems to be unable to escape the perception of dude bros with cheater, Cheeto fingers beating off to Cortana fan art on DeviantArt. Love it, worded perfectly. Uh, they need they need to let their best talent break free from uh, break free and innovate. The Last of Us 
There's a Last of Us masterpiece in one of these companies. They just need to support. They just need the support to chase it. Um, agree and disagree because you're right. You're you're absolutely. I think most of what this comment is is saying stuff I've tried to say, but you're just saying it way better, way more elegant, way more succinct. So absolutely, I take your point. I think you're totally right, especially about audience perception and all that. Um, the the only thing, the reason why I go back and forth on this all the time, and it. it this mostly speaks to the point I was trying to make last week, but um, my only thing is I do think there is a, a part of this story where it's got to be said that some of the blame does fall a little bit on kind of just the the critic response and kind of the, I don't know how to say this because it's kind of hard to, games are obviously made for the market to enjoy, to consume and enjoy so it's kind of silly to sit here and be like, I'm going to blame the market for the way they responded to the creative pro- uh, product that was put out to enjoy. But at the same time, it's like I kind of blame the market just a little bit. I think we got to a point where people are tired and exhausted from Gears of War because Gears of War is all we ever got. The Coalition, EA, whatever, the people working on Gears of War never went off and did something different. They just had to stay with Gears of War. And so it felt like 2005, 2007, 2008, forever because they just kept working on that thing that was big back in those days. So, yes. But also, you got to be a little dense or you just got to be f- straight up lying to play a game like Gears 5 and say that that game doesn't feel like a super mature, super um, grown up, uh, more narrative heavy and narrative focused uh, version of a Gears of War game because I argue playing, you know, I said this a lot when Gears 5 came out, I would argue that playing a game like Gears 5, I find as much artistic and narrative talent, or not talent, but uh, merit in a game like that as I do in a game like The Last of Us. And I say that as someone who has played The Last of Us, The Last of Us 2, all the Uncharted games. I've played a lot of these Sony first-party games. I played the first Horizon game. I, I play Sony games, and I play Xbox games too, and I just gotta say, from a personal perspective, trying to weed out the preconceived notions and and all that and the experience and all that, just just trying to judge each game on its own merit. I feel like a lot of times some of these newer Xbox games are a little more mature and have more to say, but don't get the respect because there was never a chance for the you know to, to, to give the chicken a break. They just kept they just kept stroking it. You know what I mean? So yeah, no, a hundred percent. I think you're, I think you're nailing on the head. I think you're making a great point. You're saying everything I want to say, but only better. And, and, and yeah, I think, I think you and I have reached a consensus here between both of our comments that yes, it would be nice to see these guys be able to go away and do something different for a little while and come back. The thing that's given PlayStation that prominence and that view is that they, they were able to say goodbye, Crash and Spyro. And they moved on to Ratchet and Clank and Sly Cooper and Jack and Daxter. And then at one point they were able to say, goodbye, Jack and Daxter and Sly Cooper and Ratchet and Clank, although Ratchet and Clank, I guess, technically never went away. And then they were able to move on to um, Infamous and Uncharted and Resistance. And then at one point they were able to say, goodbye, Uncharted, goodbye, Resistance, goodbye, uh, Infamous. And then they were able to mature on to The Last of Us and, you know, Spider-Man PS4 and, uh, and Ghost of Tsushima and things like that. So... Not only has PlayStation quite literally matured in terms of like the games and the themes and the ratings of their games maturing as their audience has grown up, but also it's this, it's this like, you don't play a game 
like The Last of Us Part 1 and say, oh my god, that feels so stuck in 2007 because they abandoned the thing they were working on in 2007 to do the thing they did in 2013. They abandoned the thing they did in 2001 to do the thing they did in 2007. And so they've always moved on. And so you don't have that opportunity to relate. Whereas because the people making Halo, whether it was 343 or Bungie, never moved on since they, they always just made Halo 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, Infinite. It, it's easy for you to play the newest Halo, and even though it is way more mature than the last one, even though it's the series has evolved way more and it has way more to say, and I think there's way more artistic merit to a newer Halo game versus an older Halo game, you still look at it, and it, it's Halo. So it makes you think of 2004, 2007, because those were the good old days where Halo was at its peak. And so I, I, I guess that's another factor to it. Is it's not necessarily that the new games aren't, aren't pulling their weight and kind of up to snuff and, and doing what the other guys are doing over on PlayStation. It's that because there was never a gap or something else done between back then and today, and we're still working with the same franchises, title after title after title, it just kind of feels like the next Gears of War, even if this Gears of War has a lot more to say and do than the last one. And you have to get quite dramatic if you if you want to have that that difference, I guess, because God of War big to be ignored. Yeah, I I don't know how I feel about it. The thing is, I just feel like Bethesda Game Studios, the people that make Skyrim and Fallout, I feel like they're too big and this acquisition was too recent for the majority of people to look at a game like Starfield and judge it like Xbox, you know, because it still looks so much like Bethesda. So I, I don't know. I feel like Starfield might be the exception to the rule, but no doubt I do think... I do think this game will take some level of heat that it otherwise would not have had due simply to the fact that it is now an Xbox exclusive title instead of a multi-platform agnostic title. I 100% agree with that. I just I don't think it's going to be as as strong as like it will be hated or ignored. I don't I don't think it'll be that. But I, I definitely think people will be very hard and very critical of Starfield. And I, again, that's why it goes back to what we said at the top of the show. This game has a lot riding on it, a lot that it has to prove. And um, I just I just don't know if they can do it. So, dude, <clears throat> Starfield will be such an interesting game to keep an eye on as we get there. And honestly, having enjoyed so much Fallout 76 this week, I'm actually a lot more optimistic and excited for Starfield than I was leading up to, you know, this year. But yeah, man, Starf- Starfield, I, I, I let me say it on a personal level. Starfield is going to be a great game. It is just going to be a great game. I, I can I, I, I can say that with absolute certainty. I just it's going to be a great game. The question is going to be, is it, does it take what Bethesda does best and push it into the next generation? Is it, is it groundbreaking again? That's the question to be determined. All right. Last comment. Cronky is pissing off Sam Torres and pissing off people with his hot take. He says, I'm just going to say it. I'm going to come kill the sacred cow real quick. The Batman Arkham games aren't that good. They never were. They're awkward feeling. The reason they're so loved is that they're a little, they're a little dark and mature, but they're Batman, so parents bought them for, like, their kids. Kind of like when kids can't play Gears of War, so they play Transformers War for Cybertron instead. The Arkham games are fine at best. Well, I've only played a little bit of Arkham Asylum, and I never played the second two games, so I cannot speak to that. But but just knowing how beloved these games are, I know that's a super controversial take. So, Kronky, Sam Torres responds and takes you to task. He says, Kronky, my poor deluded lad, I can follow your logic, only up to a point. We owe a lot of expansive level style third person combat game to Arkham Asylum. They may have been clunky, but the licensed game market got lightly 
parting, got a light parting the clouds. They showed studios to make something original, not a movie tie-in. This is not a deal breaker. Wait for Cybertron. War for Cybertron is an amazing game to this day, but it has levels that parse up the story and Arkham keeps moving with few cutscenes that make it more cinematic, easier to remain immersed, which furthered software developer efforts for the better experience. Sacred Cow reincarnated, eating PB&J, checking Twitter feed. I, I, I gotta be honest, I'm a little bit with Sam Torres on this one, but of course with the caveat that I don't have as much experience with these games as seemingly you do. Sam Torres, uh, I don't know if you've played all three, I assume you have. Cronky, uh, yeah, I know you have. So I, I, I don't, you know, I come from a place of more uh, with more ignorance because the Batman Arkham game that I'm most familiar with is Gotham Knights, which I know is uh, hated. But um, I, I, I'm a little leaning towards Sam on this one because I agree. As someone who loves a cheap, budgety, licensed movie tying game, as someone who fucking yearns for that so much, I just, uh, I, I want it so bad. I wish we could have it again. I would freaking kill if last summer when Lightyear came out in theaters, we had a fucking cheap, budgety, licensed tie-in movie game to go along with it that was available for... Xbox One, Xbox Series S, Xbox Series X, PS4, PS5, PC, Nintendo Wii U, Nintendo Switch, Nintendo 3DS, Game Boy Advance, and DS. Like if we had, if we had a fucking game like that again, where it's like every skew of it is completely fucking different, and for some reason the PC version is kind of the same but made by a different developer. If we could have one of those licensed movie games again for some of these more recent movies, we got. I, I do. I, I miss it. But I'd be lying if I said. I can't easily, I, I, I'd be lying if I didn't acknowledge that I can easily look at Batman Arkham and say, oh, I can see how that moved the needle, how that changed things. And, and, and Sam Torres, it's exactly that. It's that Batman Arkham Asylum was not a licensed movie tie-in game to like the, the Dark Knight trilogy, you know? It has nothing to do with that. It's just a Batman game that happened to come out around that time and uses a license that is timeless and beloved and everyone will stop and pay attention to to make but but it doesn't use that as an excuse to sell itself it doesn't use that as the sole purpose for why you should play the game because it has a good game a compelling video game to back it up yeah maybe i don't know maybe it is a little janky for the time or something like that but for 2009 i i know people were blown away by arkham asylum at the very least and i know the second one really blew people's socks off as well being a little more open world but um I don't know. I think it's, I think it's a, a hot take, and I think a lot of people are going to fight you on that one. So happy to read it. Happy to put the idea out there. Maybe I'd even agree with you if I if I actually played through all three games like you have. Um, but I don't know. Just based on my limited understanding, I'm, I'm inclined to go with Sam on this one. Although you could argue that maybe something like Batman Arkham Asylum is the reason why we live in a world where we don't get movie licensed games and where we get this stuff instead, like Hogwarts Legacy. Um Instead of a or, or Marvel Spider-Man, instead of a instead of movie tying games. Although we all know the real reason for that is mobile free-to-play bullshit. All right, that's gonna do it for our podcast this week, guys. It's been going on a little long, so I should probably wrap it up. But uh, that's it for all of our comments. That's it for all of our news. We did it all. Maybe tomorrow the podcast will go live just in time for Phil Spencer to announce. 55 new games and uh, the Activision deal's gone through and. And uh, Aaron Greenberg found a penny while he was walking out of the grocery store the other day. A lucky penny. And uh, we'll miss all of it because the podcast will go up by the time all that news happens. But, hey, man, 
We're not sweating it. We're just here to have a good time. So hopefully you guys enjoyed the podcast. If you did, let me know. Five-star reviews, thumbs up, subscribe. Help me grow the show, guys. Please help me. Help me reach new people. I need to reach more UK listeners so I can get more two-star reviews from the UK iTunes ratings. Um, But all joking aside, hope you're all doing well. Take care. Economy is shit. There's war happening everywhere. Governments don't give a shit about you. Corporations don't give a shit about you. But hey, you still got your trusty Xbox to keep you company. So take care, eat some good food, spend time with those you love. Until next week, power your dreams.